Hello, human instrumentality podlings. It's Joseph here again. Just reminding you that you're about to listen to part two of our collaborative episode with the Requiem Metal podcast, covering the legendary grindcore band Discordance Axis, whose music was heavily inspired by Neon Genesis Evangelion. If you haven't listened to the first part of our conversation with Mark and Jason, I highly recommend that you pause this episode, go back, and give that one a listen. Uh, If you do feel like jumping right into the middle, though, you're brave, and I applaud you for it. Be my guest. And if you haven't listened to that first episode, just so you know, Ian and I are hard at work on the second full season of the Human Instrumentality podcast, Satoshi Kon's Bizarre Adventure. We have so many awesome guests lined up and in-depth research, quotes, little tidbits. I really just can't wait to share it all with you. But in the meantime, Ian and I really enjoyed our time with the Requiem guys, and we hope you did too. Uh, Once again, if you're not an extreme heavy metal person, this music is probably going to start off very, very abrasive. Feel free to fast forward through it. The songs are short, um, but in the spirit of experimental art and highly emotional storytelling, like Ian and I love, I encourage you to at least give it a try because I think it may make your life a little more enjoyable in some respects. I know that I sure get a lot of enjoyment and pleasure and edification out of bands like Discordance Axis and albums like The Inalienable Dreamless. So until next time, this is Joseph, and I hope to see all of you inside the LCL soon.
that was the third children, the end of rebirth, angel present, pattern blue, and then we started off with castration, right? And um, I guess musically, before I kind of, you know, hand things over to you guys, end of rebirth, we just kind of talked about the lyrics, but in particular, what's interesting about those last couple tunes is those tunes have a lot of that dissonance that we were sort of talking about before. Um, you know, Rob's riffing in End of Rebirth is almost this like bizarre, futuristic kind of shredding, discordant riff. That's a, a real highlight for me. I mean, End of Rebirth is really one of my favorite songs, I think, on this whole record. Um, I, I kind of sound, I said it, it sounds like he's, he and everyone else is in a race against each other. It's like the or, aural equivalent of like a smoke cloud fighting in like a Tasmanian devil kind of cartoon or something like that. <laughs> I love that. That's great. You know? like, that's, that's what I hear. It's like, Jesus, you know, or like, uh, you know, I used to watch family guy like 20 years ago or whatever. And the, you know, they'd have like the chicken fight. All yeah. That. Something yeah. like that. I was like, what the fuck is kind of going on there? You know? And then same with third children. I said, you know, it's got this auspicious kind of mid-pace opening before like the blur kicks in. And and really besides Voivod, I hear kind of that dissonance and velocity that you're going to hear in like, you know, Gorgut's Obscura or even like Death Spell Omega, you know, or something like that. You know, yes. That, that just like mm-hmm. bleeding, blurred kind of like, where am I? You know? That's and, that scronk. Yeah. yeah there, there that you is. Go. Well, that's the secret ingredient in Death Spell Omega is like these guys must really like Dillinger. I remember yeah, like yeah, figuring no. that out. And I, I've complicated I have a complicated relationship with that band, but I, I love a lot of their yeah. I love a lot of their album. I can't yeah, deny great. that. Yeah. And to me, what Death Spell did to black metal is what Discordance Axis was doing to grind. It's just when Death Spell did it, it became a phenomenon. Now there's a million clones. And there's like there's like almost no discordance axis clones at all. Yeah, because the the physicality of it, like it's it's too it's too much almost. Right. You're at the razor's edge of like sanity with this band, you know. Um Right. Third children, then, like almost especially so. Like I think that might be among the most chaotic songs on the album. Like that and Love Lists, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Loveless has that like almost like converged like dirge thing that we'll, we'll kind of get into, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, I love like Dave's kind of stop start ending there at the end of Third Children. You know, what a great like end to a, a set of music and stuff, too. Um, but yeah, so that was just I, before we kind of got into all the, the stuff, you know, I wanted to kind of throw that out. And before I kind of pass the the torch to you guys to sort of get into the the inner workings of the, the Ava stuff, I did, you know, there was a couple quotes one from you guys uh that john said about um the lyrics on this record he said while there's a searing emotional honesty that screams through oh hey this isn't his this might be turner's quote uh oh no it's from um chiddler's do you want to talk talk a little bit about that okay so uh this guy i think his name's andrew childers is it childers i couldn't remember i think it's childers let me let oh yeah me. it is it's andrew childers, childers. yep he wrote, I think, a book on the making of the Enable Dreamless, and it's all available online. Okay. So okay. we can we can put that in the show notes. Um, but there, it's called Compiling Autumn, which is a song that that is not in this talk set. But uh, Andrew Childers did did like a, an almost thirty-three and a third type. Got it. Like storytelling discourse on making this album. It's it's a great piece of reading anyone who wants to get into this 
Well, and several of the quotes we've shared in this episode have come from that as well. You know, so this is him in particular offering commentary on Chang's lyrics here. And he basically said, while there's searing emotional honesty, it screams through Chang's performance. The lyrics are intentionally shrouded in several layers of metaphor and striking imagery. Chang declines to discuss the individual meanings of his songs. Instead, he said he prefers for listeners to draw their own conclusions, infusing the songs with their own personal interpretations. Um, one exception to that is, again, going back to the, the, the terrorizer issue when Inalienable kind of came out is John Chang kind of talks a little bit about this. And this is a good segue, I think, for you guys to maybe start to run with the, the Eva stuff. He says, each Discordance Access album has had a different theme of sorts to it. And that's reflected in the sound and the packaging as well. We put it out there and hopefully it makes people stop and think about things for a minute. We sometimes hear reviews complaining that we are pretentious, but if the purpose of art is to inspire thought, then it doesn't seem particularly progressive to show mutilated bodies or just reflect the trends of the day. I really see very little difference between vanity covers or war photo covers, or for that matter, even sampled imagery covers. Then again, I'm pretty critical of my older work as well. I feel a lot of my older writing and art was just too derivative and of everything else at the time. Pity, but hopefully we grow with every step. A lot of the words and music on this album take their cue from other forms of expression than just music, poetry, novels, films. I wonder how many people have spotted the references to Edgar Allan Poe, Ray Bradbury, Philip K. Dick, Richard Adams, or Joseph Conrad, to name but a few in the lyrics. It's strange that we live in such a rich artistic culture, and yet so many people are totally oblivious to it. Maybe it's a function of being flooded with imagery all the time. And so obviously one of the other influences on this record is Ava. Neon, yeah, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and it's all over this album once you know where to find it. I mean, Joseph just schooled me in the last segment about like not catching some Ava references. So I'm sure there's ones that we're not even you know picking up on that are pretty densely layered in there. Sure. I just schooled you after we did, we've done 30 hours of podcasting talking about Evangelion. <laughs> this is yeah. supposed to be the end of our Evangelion coverage after we've already done the we're not talking about Ava anymore episodes. Yeah. I've like, I've already flushed so much of it from my mind. I'm like full paranoia agent mode right now. So I, but, so what know. are kind of some of the, the I guess, the little spoilers or, or little kind of uh, nuggets there for, for people who are maybe coming at this, not necessarily from a grindcore perspective, but from being fans of that, um, that series? Sure. So I feel like the, the one that's most obvious is Pattern Blue. Um, and I feel like the interesting thing is, like, as you mentioned, like, if there are people who are listening to this on our feed or maybe have, like, you know, not listened to this band, uh, but are you know fans of the anime they'll probably spot a lot of this like off the bat like pattern blue uh so to scroll back a bit like the enemies in the neon genesis evangelion series are these creatures called angels um and they're identified by their particular like waveform in in some way like the, like their dna is you know otherwise indistinguishable from humans but they give off a pattern blue like waveform and that's how like our heroes like see them coming uh unless they're a super powerful angel in which case they have an orange blood pattern right it's um <laughs> part of the appeal uh, of this series is is not that it actually makes a lot of internal methodology methodological sense like it's it's trying to make uh emotional sense sure. yeah you just kind of have to ride with the techno babble and with like all the terms that it throws at you and like 
consider what it evokes in your mind rather than trying to like make it all make sense on like a mathematical level. Well, a couple but, of my couple of my students were talking about anime today during lunch and they, <laughs> they ate lunch in my room and I, I kind of mentioned to them like, you know, this podcast that I was working on and, and stuff. And I said to them, you know, what it was. And the look on one of his faces was like, ah, like I tried to, that's so confusing. I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know if I like that. And I was like, well, that's kind of what I've heard. I've heard it's really about like kind of emotional resonance and it's not necessarily plot driven, but, and, and he was like, you can just tell, like, he's very much a, uh, a math science type of kid. And he, he wanted like something very like A to B kind of narrative. You know? sure. And it wasn't yeah. for him, you know? The interesting thing is I feel like Ava kind of sets up a, uh, a narrative where you almost expect that. And then it deliberately starts swerving in a very different direction. So in, in the same way that a song like Jigsaw at the beginning, you're like, oh, I, I kind of see where this is coming from. And then suddenly they're playing the same riff for a minute straight. And you're like, what just happened? Yeah. Uh, that, that's kind of the same energy with with Evangelion. Uh, just another thing in Pattern Blue, like one of the, the lyrics here is like, uh, with AT field, it's wings penetrated and destroyed me. Uh, so an AT field is in the parlance of Evangelion is essentially the... Uh, the barrier between oneself and the outside world uh, and certain creatures, certain beings have stronger AT fields than others. And you can use your AT field to smash through someone else's. So the idea is that there is a, some personal level of either Chang or the narrator in this particular song, whose, uh, whose guard has been completely broken down by his, some, some other AT field, a, AT field that's like smashing through him in this lyric. Gotcha. One thing I, I was struggling when I interviewed John, because I was trying to look at it from a perspective of somebody who hasn't watched the show before, is I was trying to like get from him, and maybe you guys can give me a better answer, like what a Western equivalent to this would be. Um, and I don't know if you have one or if it's just so uniquely its own thing that you there's no like illusions that you can sort of draw to like entertainment in, in this part of the world or, or any series here. I don't know. I think the common answer is like what Ava is to other like mecha anime is as Twin Peaks is okay. to like the Lynchian. Cop procedural. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, That's often question. described as Lynchian. Okay. Yeah. okay. yeah, I just showed a scene from Twin Peaks The Return to my film class this week. And it was, uh, I don't know if you're fans of Twin Peaks The Return, but it's that episode yes. eight where uh all of yes. a sudden they go inside the nuclear explosion it's like the nuke episode you're on a ride yeah. and i just showed it i just taught my kids about surrealism we just watched unsha nandalu the eye cutting scene you know mm -hmm. you know high school kids they're all fucking panicked and stuff and so then i was like all right we got a little extra time i'm going to take you on a 20 minute ride sit back don't think about it just go and afterwards like some of the kids were like i didn't understand what was going on but i wanted to know more and I was like, okay, you get it. That's it. Yeah. That's all you need. That's, that's it. You know, that's the first step. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's cool. Okay. Twin Peaks. Good. That, that makes sense to me. And Mark I and I are both fans of Lynch. So I think Ava's good at that. I mean, I'm cheating a little bit because I've heard the interview you did with Chang up to where he talks to Ava. That's as far as I had the opportunity to go, but I know that he makes this point about, um, what the main strength of the show is that it's not really about its plot. It's not really about its genre. What it's really about is an exploration of the human condition, right? Yeah. Like it's it's laying out a 
cohesive world right it's you're sort of like as a child forced into a world you don't ask to be in like that you exist is not consensual right and in this world you're subjected to trials that are often painful and like in the way the show frames that is like we're gonna put kids in giant robots and make them fight monsters and like the monsters aren't they start off as like oh it's like a godzilla movie i get this and then as it goes on they progressively get more abstract to the point where it's like this monster isn't using violence it's using emotional violence to try and conquer humanity and you've got to you've got to reckon with like what happens to i mean this is a kids show and it, it in like almost no important no uncertain terms it gets to the point where it's like we've just had a 14 year old character be uh, metaphorically at least sexually assaulted in public uh how do we deal with like a world where this can happen the how, exploitation how, kind of thing yeah the, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, being being forced to to relive the traumas of your past of like what does it mean to have like parents who maybe don't love you the yeah. way that they should right or even if they try they aren't good at it um what's well, sort of the discomfort to go back to Twin Peaks, like my entryway to finally really appreciating Firewalk with me was to sort of understand of what I was seeing was not necessarily plot driven, but was this idea of you were watching the sort of harrowing journey of Laura Palmer and like you had to reckon with what not only the character went through, but in a way, and this is different than obviously animation, like what the actress went through to achieve that. And like, you see the toll it takes on uh, the actress that escapes me real quick who plays her. And she didn't like, she didn't do roles for like five, 10 years after that. It fucked her up. And yeah. so like, that's what you, you know, when you're watching Firewalk with me, you're not watching it for like the same kind of reasons you watch the, the maybe the, the original run of the TV show. It's like a different thing. It's a different experience. It's much more sort of visceral. And like you said, about the journey of the human condition. And it's again, it's a teenage girl. So you're like, man, this is, this is rough, you know, like, fuck, man, you're watching yeah. incest and all these fucking horrible things happen to this character that you you didn't even know, but you care about, you know, and again, I don't want to get into Twin Peaks, but that's my only like kind of connection is, is that metaphor that you sort of used, uh, you know, to describe it as something like Twin Peaks, you know, but. Um, I feel like yeah. building on that, uh, the way that you experience that with Evangelion is like watching the make like the quality or the style of the show gradually break down over time. And in that you can sort of see the mental state of its creators gradually degrading in some ways over the course of the series. Cause it goes from these like very stylized, very like finely tuned fight scenes to these increasingly more abstract and increasingly more sketch-like uh, confrontations with their enemies where the last two episodes are almost these like Godardian montages that just sort of like roll over you like image by image rather than being like recognizably representations of any kind of like real conflict or action you know it becomes like so much more abstract that you can kind of tell that even the creator's ability to uh, express what they're going through in realistic terms is slipping out of their fingers in some way it's almost sort of like sounds like and, and again, you might laugh at this and, and I might be completely off base because I haven't watched it. 
like sort of the the what Dan Harmon brings to his sort of creations, you know, that as community evolved and as like Rick and Morty sort of went on, it became less about like actual plots and more almost about, you know, like Dan Harmon's like like mental fatigue and anguish and his like perspective on pop culture and like the emptiness. And it was like the show got really abstract at certain points, you know, and you're like, yeah. this is not a sitcom anymore. You know, like you watch season one community and then you get like near the end, you're like, whoa, this is like a totally different thing than what it started off to become. And even in Rick and Morty, they kind of even go further with that into these like dark existential journeys into shit that doesn't, it's almost disconnected from like anything else. It's not plot driven anymore. You know, I don't know right. that might be a completely weird off base perspective, but that's just something I kind of think about when you talk about, the creator mental <laughs> state changing the show of like, you know, how the show starts to change, you know? They're not off base. There's a similar like striving for like emotional truth in, mm -hmm. in them. And um, I think I say this on our podcast, one of the big strengths of Evangelion is it, it treats like the environmental apocalypse and the fraught nature of your first sexual love as like a child as like a teenager right yeah with equal importance like and, and i think that's part of like how this filters into chang's lyrics and also how you can draw a line from eva to discordance axis yeah. to pig destroyer to converge right yeah. is, yeah. is it's yeah, yeah. is this idea that like your pure romance as a young person is incredibly like emotionally violent likely and as like trying to make the connection between like a young person who doesn't know how their body is changing to another person is like being a human being trying to make first contact with an alien species yeah and it, it it treats them with that kind of gravity and i think there is some of that in what dan Harmon does the the difference is that like Dan Harmon does really care about wrapping his stories up neatly sure. and yeah. having it have like a feel good digestible package. Whereas like in Evangelion, and I think this is also similar to what happens with discordance access, right? Like it begin the show begins like in the, like a military superhero show, like you are the chosen one. You need to save the world from like the implacable enemy. You have the power of this like giant robot behind you um you're you're the man right the man and mm -hmm. i think this is what this is where people disconnect with it is like people want that they want the hero's journey they want yeah. that and at the by the end it's less like akira more like f for fake and it's not <laughs> yeah, and it's we just watched and, Susan kane in my class today so perfect good orson welles reference yeah it's there you go. And it's not by the end it's not oh you're the hero's journey it's like the show's creator sitting you down being like go to therapy. Your parents weren't good to you and I'm sorry. Yeah. Go go talk to someone. Hmm. And and like people don't want that. So no. like it's it's a controversial show for that reason, but like some some people, I think like Chang or like me, I'm getting a little teary even talking about it. Why do I do this to myself? Um like had that like resonant experience with it at the end where it's like, "Oh my god." I like I'm 14 and my life is already a mess. What have I done to myself? Sure. Right? Like it, yeah. it, it can, it can do that to you. And I think more than just aesthetically, but like emotionally, like Chang is bringing that kind of like severity 
to the music but it's yeah. not purely negative right like because like by the end of at least the series like evangelion does weirdly end on like a major chord like it ends on a positive note like it ends on like you can do better you can you can become a better person you can you can grow up and live a happy life if you want you don't need to be um, the hero or, you or queen you, Andy, you know, yeah right you don't need to be like the antichrist like the, the main character sort of in a way winds up becoming like the antichrist um so it, like it's like you don't need to be that you can just be happy if you if you do the work yeah no it's um, pretty fascinating yeah you know and i think by the end you know that's the difference between like anal cunt discordance access right like yeah. by the end by the end of an alienable dreamless i think you, you do get to the point where it's like well now we've broken you down to nothing but now you can begin to go forth and live your life mm-hmm. sure mm-hmm. yeah remake yourself into 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 a person you can feel good about yeah um there's a few like specific references that I I spotted that I I'd love to run by Joseph and the rest of you as well uh, on just specifically like in the song uh, the third children so the title is a reference to the main character of Neon Genesis Evangelion Shinji Ikari uh, the the pilots of the Evangelion robots are labeled like the first the second the third and the fourth children um, and I thought that the the closing stanza of this song was a specific reference to uh the character kawaru from evangelion uh, a moment of kindness sullened by departure um the third children um and yes. as i was saying it was uh, a ref like the the title is a reference to the the protagonist of neon genesis evangelion uh the sort of system that's used in the show is that the the pilots of the evangelions are labeled the first third fourth and uh i guess fourth children is as far as it goes in the original series so the third children being shinji ikari the main character um and joseph i thought this uh this closing stanza uh, a moment of kindness sullened by departure that to me sounds like it's about kauru like yeah that at least that's how i read it but i'd love to hear your thoughts about it i i totally see that as like the kauru moment um I, I also see Kaoru and Angel present. Mm. And so in, in the, should we spoilers? I don't know, because I feel like, I don't know, Jason, I feel like you'd get something out of this show. I know. I've yeah, no, I know. I honestly, after talking to you and John and, and things like, it's kind of something I'm, you know, interested in pursuing. I don't know when, but it's definitely on my, my mental like file list. How, how do you feel about spoilers? Well, I, it's interesting. I thought that uh, Angel Present was about the Lilial event. Here's the thing. It's but... probably so over my head right now that even if you spoiled it, I probably wouldn't absorb it and remember it. You know, it'd be like kind of like a echo of a memory and maybe, you know, I don't know. Well, like, I feel like... if, if, if the story is good enough, yeah, you, spoiler still, you know, the spoiler is not the, that's like bad storytelling is the, is the spoilers the, or the exciting part is the revelation. But if it's yeah. a good enough story, I think you can appreciate it no matter what. Yeah, like with my wrestling viewing, a lot of times I'll choose whether I'm going to actually like watch something based on like how the results were. You <laughs> 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 know what I mean? Because I'm like, eh, do I, you know, like, because I, I kind of I'm in and out of my wrestling viewing. It's very spotty. It kind of depends on if it's something I'm interested in. And then, you know, if they do something interesting with this, the, the end of the match, I'm like, okay. I'm here for the well, story. Yeah, yeah, for what it's worth, the the first episodes I ever saw of Evangelion were the last two. You know, there's like a story beat in Evangelion where there is like a maybe not first love, but like there there is a 
young teenage relationship and it turns out that um the uh other person is a uh a villain or an antagonist character and it's incumbent on the protagonist the third children to uh kill their first love oh interesting okay first love second love i don't know it's how how you want to do it but it's it's, complicated it's it's complicated look with ava it's all very complicated it's all complicated yeah it's all complicated it's it's Um, alec baldwin it's complicated let please don't please don't sell evangelion with uh the the guy who accidentally killed someone with a cap gun yeah you know (laughs) sorry i've also got i've also got a make the dark jokes in there yeah um, uh, but but is this with third children or angel present that you're talking about this particular reference i was talking about you talking about the end of third children being uh-huh. like about yes. about karu a moment of kindness sullened by departure you know it's like oh i love someone time to rip their head off right yeah, yeah. um that seems like I, a, almost like a rite of passage kind of metaphor or something like yes. that you know like yeah. eternal sunshine of a spotless mind like you have to like you know get rid of your past relationships or something like that mm-hmm. you know in a literal sense sort of also parsifal ish if you're a wagner person i've always mm-hmm. thought that there's there's sort of a connection there in terms of the sacrifice and you know uh male to male romance kind of element at the uh, at the end of parsifal as well as uh with evangelion something i've been thinking about lately at least Oh, we should have covered that. Yeah, spoilers, there's a queer awakening. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, um, but then Angel Present, I feel like the, some of the, the lyrics here are like, uh, floating weightless, unerupted until I exhale, ghosts have no shadows. Uh, that particular trunk reminds me of a, a specific enemy that Joseph and I have a real fondness for in the, uh, in the Evangelion series that ex- exists both as a shadow and a reflection of its shadow above itself. Uh, that like traps the main character in this kind of empty void where they're just sort of floating with no context Um, and that kind of serves as like the the major turning point in the vibe of the show is during that moment so i i thought at least angel present was a a a reference to that particular moment but i maybe joseph has a different interpretation no i think you're i think you're right um there i've schooled you once you schooled me once on our on our references um I just thing I wanted to say that that uh, something I got from Third Children is just to try and bring it back to Discordance Axis a little bit is um, in the sense that like the the all TV shows or all films nerves to an extent like invite you to relate to the main character the point of view character to an extent you know sure um, Ava really does try and like make the protagonist like almost like a Shakespearean like a Hamlet like a a blank slate for you to project your own insecurities onto that's part of how it invites you in that's the third children and um Cheng in a way sort of like literalizes this in the rest of his career um on in the liner notes to the inalienable dreamless he's credited as John Ava 05 Chang. Uh, the, the robots are also like numerically uh, assigned number, and Ava 05 is in the series, but you never see it. But it, that's in a way him sort of inserting himself into the narrative. And, um, you know, as his bands go on, even after Discordance Access, the, the figure that's on the front of Gridlink's Long Hina album 
is mm-hmm. wearing a plug suit from the series. It's like it's a yeah. fictionalized mm-hmm. character. It's not a one to one reference from the series, but it's still him inserting his career into the narrative flow of Evangelion, and it does form this thematic through line through his well he even has a quote from evangelion on the cover of the booklet correct uh something like that i think i've read some a quote from like the end of it that's probably right i i I I don't own a physical of of the inalienable dreamless i just had to order mine got it okay okay yeah i think it's on the 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 you know back cover of the booklet of some sort you know um well you know this is a true story i didn't realize when when you could get it in stores i thought it was a dvd and i didn't yeah. own a dvd player yep. at the time so i never bought <laughs> inalienable dream dreamless like i i i've i've had it from rips forever so like i mean that's another not to get too far away from ava but that's another thing for listeners to note is um it like the packaging of this record was super interesting it's like sent Sure. in a dvd case like the dvd case you'd get an anime dvd from at the time um the cover is a photograph that i think david witty took uh but the photograph is like of this like super reflective seascape that is very evocative of like the settings of evangelion and it even comes uh in with like dead leaves in it i think they like went out and like hand got dead leaves and shoved them into the dvd cases that they sent out so it's like it was like an art object to get it yeah uh, that i guess it's their best-selling record is my understanding but i thought it was something i couldn't play on a dvd player so i never bought it yeah that is interesting i'm gonna box upstairs (laughs) mine didn't have the leaves in it i mean i opened mine when we did the episode and kind of looked around so maybe at one point it did i have no no idea i don't know if i've ever opened mine to be honest Hmm. huh yeah that might be worth something yeah, say unopened, you might be able to catch a pretty penny for that one. So, and Mark doesn't really play CDs anymore, anyway. So that that'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah, I don't own a CD player. Yeah. So, I mean, you have a Blu-ray player; you could technically play them on that if you needed to. But yeah. Yeah, through through TV speakers. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So I guess you know, we um we kind of like get into sort of the second part of this record, um, another set of music, kind of from it, and um. Anything else before we kind of talk about the the songs that we want to sort of wrap up inalienable with uh, in terms of the 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 Eva connections or, or anything else kind of there before we well, die? I, I did enjoy the the reference to Kefka from Final Fantasy VI in the title track, but uh, other than oh yeah, that, that's right. Um, I, I I I'm sort of tapped for more things to say on this record. <laughs> I think okay. y'all probably have that's the okay. rest of it. <laughs> and so, oh, there is a Kefka reference. God damn it! There's like all. There's so much intertextuality going on in this album and every album after it. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, it seems like layers upon layers of things, you know, um, not lyrically and musically. And that's like kind of the, the, the cool part about it. You know, the the first song we're going to hear in this next set from Inalienable is uh, Oratario in Grey. And the sort of he, John's doing these like pitched shrieks like kind of combined with like guttural things. It's, it's pretty interesting. And uh, this is like their cannibal corpse song. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. You mean <laughs> from the gore grind song? Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I, I, 
what the f I'm trying to read my like make sense of my notes. I said cohesive extremity almost like grinds Transylvanian hunger. What the fuck was I talking about there? <laughs> but then I said the riffs harken back to like like old dead guy and Roshark kind of riffs, like the roots of sort of extreme hardcore a little bit in this. Um, <laughs> so my third time going through the record, I, I wrote down Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, so no, I, I, don't, I don't know how effective that is, but that's what I felt out of it. That could be the vocals because he's going from the shrieks to the guttural, which is kind of like, you well, know, it's kind of the, the, the guitar riff too. that just reminded me of like an early, like first three Cannibal Corpse records. Oh, I could get that. Yeah, I could get that for sure. You know, and then you go into 32 seconds of the sound out of Braille. And I just said that this is 32 seconds of purified speed injected into your veins. I said, this is the song I mentioned before. That's like naked city without the free jazz. Yep. Yep. Right. Yeah, I see that. Yep. This is, this is those, it. Those blasts that he go, like does into these little rolls. That's it, it, I don't even know how I'd love to see video of how he's playing that, but being like a, a, a novice drummer playing for fun, doing those kind of like, transitions just i don't i don't know how the fuck he did it but it sounds amazing and then we get i, I 100 uh, full full sell on that one then we get to for me one of my top two or three songs in the whole record which is compiling autumn this is the one maybe I, for, for me the one is jigsaw okay like, okay I, I said this when we were off mic but like just so listeners know jigsaw is in my opinion the second best grind song ever written of all time yeah um my my number one is terrorizer corporation pull in um i think jigsaw is the one but if it's not jigsaw it's compiling autumn uh and that they're back to back uh, as you listen to the album is nuts it's like the hardest three minutes of music you'll ever fucking hear it's it's incredible i said the riff that starts at about the 22nd uh 28 second mark until the end with Dave just attacking the jugular, I said is like grinds platonic ecstasy. It's just the symbol work as the song drives right over the fucking edge, right into jigsaw, man. I said, you know, this is my, I don't know if you guys know, but like I'm big into hot sauces. Uh, and if you've ever watched <laughs> hot ones, all right. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. said, this yeah. is what it feels like, honestly, when you eat the bomb and I've done the yeah. bomb like five or six times, <laughs> you fucking grip the edge and you just fucking hang on, you know? And it's like, woo. And that's what, you know, Dave does with the, the drums here. It's fucking incredible. And there's actually a quote from Decibel from Dave about this song. He says, one song we had a hard time with was compiling autumn. And man, there's this huge blast beat section in there with this one accent where you're kind of, stop and jump right back in we tried it over and over and over and i was having such a hard time on one take we're going through it i'm really getting into it and my headphones totally fall off so i can't hear anything in my head i was like god damn it but i went through the song anyways and when we listened back i had totally nailed it without actually hearing it so <laughs> the only anyway. time you can ever do it is when you're not paying attention <laughs> yeah yeah it's like the a zen, zen, thing, zen yeah. buddhist exactly yeah. yeah yeah be be un you know or whatever you know right. i mean i think that speaks too to like how they recorded this record we mentioned that there's no click tracks but they recorded it like a free jazz ensemble because john was singing while the band was playing which i thought was like really fascinating so they were like doing take after take where everybody was kind of like doing it at the same time to get that like whatever that dissonant kind of quality instead of like separating into different rooms or whatever you know right um, one of my favorite things about uh this band is that they keep the like count-ins before their songs 
on so right. many of their tracks where you hear like Dave like clicking his sticks ahead of time. It's almost like saying like, no, we're doing this. It's like proof of humanity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is organic. You exactly. Know? Yeah. 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 Ian, I know you mix music and, and sometimes master your own music. Ian's got a great band, by the way. Um, can you imagine mixing and mastering this fucking album? <laughs> That's what I was saying before. It's like, I would have no idea what to do with this. Like, this is hellish, man. Like, that this is a rookie job is like miraculous to me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it is pretty, pretty remarkable. And then from Compiling Autumn, we go right into Loveless. And that's another highlight for me. This is the sort of one I think I mentioned before, the dissonance. You know, it's kind of like a ISIS Godflesh kind of industrial dissonance. Mm -hmm. um, that 5% slow parts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I said, not that garden variety Voivod Gorguts dissonance. We need to add some ISIS Godflesh dissonance in there too, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, at least until the song kicks in about halfway through and, uh, you know, it's a different flavor for people, I think, you know, especially if you're not a grind fan, you can kind of see some different ideas kind of playing in here, you know, especially when you can't handle that much speed, um, you know, and then Dave teases at like 111. It's fucking great. Like he can't contain himself and then he fucking just flies off the handle right into Radiant Arkham, you know? Like it's like right. it's slow and then he's just like, he's like, fuck man, I'm getting going again. And then you just like, you like release him, you know? And um, that's kind of, I don't know. There's a lot of like Dillinger escape plan kind of in Radiant Arkham, you know? And I'm, again, they were kind of contemporaries at this point, but um yeah, it's just, you know, these cool triumphant rips mixed with kind of Voivod and sick breakdowns. And I think Radiant Arkham was on some sampler, like a Hydrahead sampler. And that's maybe where I first heard Discordance Axis for the first time. Um, I'm almost positive of that. And that's a, that's a memory I have, but I can't confirm that. So that might be the actual first song I heard from them. But hmm. I think it was on their MySpace page, if I remember correctly. Okay. Oh, that might then that might have been the first one that I heard by them, too. Like, dead ass. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, was, I wasn't doing a lot of music on MySpace. That was like, I mean, I was on MySpace. That, that was, was like, entirely my generation. Well, I was gonna say that yeah. was you that's guys. us. Yeah, <laughs> that was for sure you guys. I mean, I, I put like songs on MySpace that I liked. Right? Wasn't that a thing you did? You could like have the song, yeah, yeah, yeah. There or whatever. Um, but yeah, that was about it. So, um, and then we kind of wrap things up with Inalienable with a leaden stride to nowhere, which is a great song title. I love that. Um, you know, this to me is like almost their Phoenix in flight, speaking of Converge, mm. you know, it's building tension, you know, um, I said, rather than like this sort of precision kind of scalpel kind of cutting, um, and that allows it to, I think, stand out a little bit more because like Phoenix in flight kind of breaks up Jane Doe and gives you like room to breathe and sort of, you know, reflect and things like that. Um, and this is more like emotionally cutting rather than sort of speed cutting, you know, if you will. Um, and the song's longer than, than, you know, 30 seconds. I love that sort of lilting kind of oscillating kind of repetitious thing that's going on there. And I said, I wrote, Dave must've really struggled to play slow here. You know, like, <laughs> this, this must've been like his trial right here. Like, like playing ACDC drumming or something. Like people say how hard ACDC is to play on drums. You know, this is, this is Dave's moment to be like, oh shit, you know? So, but, uh, yeah. Anyway, so those are my those are my thoughts on any of those songs. I feel free if anybody has anything to add before we kind of go to this set of music. But um, I, I really a deconstructed grind song, and I don't know what I mean by that. For which one? Lead and stride. Yeah, for lead and stride. Yeah, I can see that. 
<laughs> I mean, isn't that really what Discord and Zaxxas is? They're really kind of, like I said, constructing grind as we're like listening to it, you know? Yeah, I feel like that, that's a description that could be said of many of the songs. Is this po is, is that what Grindcore so, yeah. 3.0 is? Is it postmodern grind? Yeah, I think we just cracked the code, guys. 3. John 0, yeah. Chang's going to be impressed with it. So, yeah. But uh, all right, well, let's get into it, I guess. Um, you know, people have listened to us kind of gab for a while. Um, and again, short set of music. It's six songs, but we'll probably we'll be back in like five minutes or whatever. But uh, we got <laughs> yeah, Oratorio. Five of them are the first minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oratorio and Gray, Sound Out the Braille, Compiling Autumn, Loveless, Radiant Arkham, and A Leaden Stride to Nowhere.
talks about how um, he just wants to sink to the bottom of the ocean one day and just not come back. And because she, she's so conflicted about like being mostly a robot and only a little bit of a human being, like what did she give up to become who she is? And like, what was that? What did that actually cost her? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and like, that was, that was how we were feeling at the end of Joho. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it's just really heavy, dark stuff in terms of like personal shit that like, I think very few people actually caught on to at the time. Uh, but like, like watch, I, I watched a video of us playing drowned, uh, like a couple days ago, something, something showed up from an old performance in Osaka. And I just remember like being, being at this concert and my hand was all cut up because I, I had injured myself the night before on, uh, on this overhanging pipe at this club we were at. And I had to go get surgery, like little like stitches, not surgery. That's too dramatic. Like I got stitches and you know, they bandaged me all up and you know, I still had to do two more shows and like, man, when that song came on, it was like no holds barred. I just like, was like storming out through the, the, in the audience, like going completely bananas. Um, <laughs> like, I honestly don't know how to like break my collarbone looking at some of that stuff. I'm like, Jesus Christ, that looks dangerous. What the hell's wrong with me? Oh, to be young again, um, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, those shows, the, the live shows for DA were pretty, were pretty wild. You know, like, like, like uh, the first show we played, um, on the ninety, I think it was the '97 tour, the Joho tour in Japan. We came out and we opened with the song Vertigo Index, and it was like dun 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 dun. dun. And like as soon as we started the the um, the singing, this kid comes screaming on stage at the top of his lungs and crashes into me. And like I don't fall down, but he almost knocks me out cold. Jesus. Like he hits me so hard with his like he crashes into me so hard. Then the next thing I know, I look up and Steve Procopio, who's playing guitar for us at the time, sort of looks at me for a second and just looks back down at his guitar like, the f- like, like he can't <laughs> believe I'm standing up for something. Like, what the hell's wrong with me? And I take my hand and I, I put it on my face. And I'm like, did I just lose a tooth? And, like, I'm covered in blood uh. because this kid, however he hit me, it, it, like, both, like, he caught my eye and my nose, my nose, I think he broke my nose, oh, and like, I was just covered in blood for the rest of the show, so I'm like, I'm doing this, I'm doing these songs, and like, literally, like, with my head back, like, and like, holding, uh, like, my hand over my nose to try to stop the bleeding, <laughs> and they're not stopping, the guys are not, they don't, they don't totally get what's going on, like, Dave doesn't see this, so they're just playing each song, and we're just going, <laughs> And and that's what Discord and Saxus was. I, that's a great <laughs> that metaphor. Discord, yeah, that's that's a great metaphor. Jeez. There you go. So, so I guess funny story to end the Discord. Saxis. Yeah, no shit. So I guess with with Discord and Saxus kind of complete, I guess it's clear like uh, you know Gridlink and no one knows what the dead think are kind of like spiritual, if not kind of direct continuations of some of that experience. Like, uh, you know, is. How much of that is intentional, or in, in what ways those per- projects kind of interact with one another? Or is there a core thread in those that you think is just always going to be part of you, or did you consciously want to make them sort of different experiences or different bands? Uh, okay, so Gridlink, Gridlink was was intended to be a very different thing from the get go. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't supposed to be like Discord and Access Part Two at all. It was supposed to be what I was really into. Uh, so I mentioned earlier, I was really not interested in any of the grind music that was coming out at a certain point. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not like a huge, um, uh, I don't know what you call it, DB punk rock, whatever. Uh, I, I wasn't, it wasn't into the direction that that music was going, which was more like sloppy and um, it felt less intense to me. 
I mean, yeah. I, I, I wasn't into the politics. I wasn't into like the, the the proficiency of the musicians. Like like grind wasn't for everybody for me. Actually, grind was the most exclusive form of music because it was so difficult to play. Right, like it was so hard to do that, especially if you did it without triggers the way that we did. Right, like because everything was natural on those records. There's yep. not overdubbing. There's not like there's no fakery. And like when we when we came out with with um, with Gridlink, it was actually because. Uh, Talk Fumi and I wanted to do a thrash band and we were working on the thrash band trying to find a drummer and he had a bunch of grind songs Mortalized was kind of like not really playing at the time and he wanted to do he wanted to take Mortalized to sort of the next like a different level and we basically our, our vision was like how do we create like this like ultra melodic Japanese heavy metal combined with Slayer played at a thousand miles per hour. That was a leaden stride to nowhere, Radiant Arkham, Loveless, Compiling Autumn, Sound Out the Braille, and then we kicked off with Oratorio in Gray. And so, you know, in terms, fellas, of how this record was kind of, uh, I guess, absorbed by people, um, you know, when, when I spoke to John and people will that anybody gave a shit about this record you know in some level they weren't really playing to audiences in america much you know they had some you know stuff going on with like touring japan a little bit here and there but it wasn't like this was an immediate success you know necessarily for the band they knew it was like their most well-received record but whatever that means in 2000 i'm not really sure um you know but but i think like this is one of those records that kind of grows on you a little bit, obviously, you know, I mean, John Chang says the record was had a really mixed reception. I think he even tells a story in the interview I gave, but here's a quote from that uh, children's book. He says, maximum rock and roll really shit on it. I think they say they give it like negative stars or something like that. Wow. Um, you know, he says, I remember reading some reviews. We got positive response from terrorizer specifically. Uh, and he goes, it was the best selling discordance re- uh, access record. Uh, and it was definitely the best received, but again, a lot of critics didn't really know what to do with this, probably because it was so purified. And you know, I mean, Maxim Rock and Roll is all about like punk riffs and like power chords, and this is like the opposite of that, right? But in two thousand, who gives a shit what they have to say? Sure, sure, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, a good yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one cares. They were kind of done by what, like ninety mid nineties, you know? Probably. As far as yeah. Revelance, Revelance. I don't really remember ever reading that magazine, you know, at all you know so speaking as a reviewer to an extent like there's a there's a a point in time where giving negative points is actually like a kind of acknowledgement in and of itself that's that's discordance axis is like uh the blood pattern changing from blue from blue to orange that's what that is (laughs) yeah it's going beyond the zero you know yeah (laughs) oh no it's the value close to zero it's circular right power yeah yeah Yeah, and then Except it didn't grant Discordance Axis infinite life. Yeah. Yep. Alas. Um, <laughs> alas. Yeah. Dave, Dave talks about it. He says, everything with that band, it was late for people to catch on. People got it later. People are dying for us to play a show these days, as we've talked about before. Uh, he goes, I don't think it will happen. <laughs> when it came out, it was kind of shocking. It was definitely different because it was Hydrahead and it reached way more people than the others did. The reaction was immediately different. It took people a little while to catch on, I think. Um, and I think that seems to be kind of the overriding vibe with this is that people, you know, I, I don't know. I don't really remember this being talked about a lot, even in, in circles back in 2000. And I was pretty plugged in. I mean, we were doing Eclipse at that point. Um, I was buying a lot of stuff on Hydra Head and, and I Did was we aware of this, do you know? 
Do you remember? Great question. I don't remember. I I, I did back and see. Yeah, I'd have to look back. That'd probably be issue three, maybe. Or yeah, I think issue three would have been about two thousand, which is kind of right when you were coming on board with us. But yeah, um, I'll have to look. Yeah, I'll have to look too. Maybe in between the next talk set. But yeah, so that's kind of where you know um, Rob starts to get a medical condition. You know, he was standing too close to the amps. Uh, I don't know if it was in the live shows or whatever. And I think he's having some kind of hearing issues and, and other things kind of going on. And they kind of talked about wanting to make a, the next record, which I think was going to be called Our Last Days. And I think it was going to be a covers record, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it was going to be other other bands covering, covering them. them and Is that what it was? Also, and also original material by them, some of which it, it would not be in the grind style. So like if you get Discordance Access now, if you get yeah. Inalienable Dreamless now, the Willow Tip reissue, yeah. it includes, uh, they did a little EP or a single. That's all the unreleased material from what was going to be our last day. And uh, that includes Berserk, another anime reference, mm-hmm. uh, Sega Bass Fishing, Bass right. Fishing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the cover classic, classic yeah. game. Video right. Game. I have that for original Nintendo, by the way. Uh, so in case you want to play it ever so it's it's not that fun and, and it's got um and and that ep also has ikaruga ikaruga yeah which is which also think we're gonna play but that's also a video game reference correct it's a like a gamecube spaceship kind of bullet hell game from what i know can we go on a brief bullet hell tangent ian may well, i, I th- i feel like we've got to if we're going to talk about grid link because it comes up all the time with them so please yeah, i was on. just talking to my students about bullet hell games you know what did your student is do people still play bullet hell games they sort of understood it I, except i gave them old man context which never works with teenagers because right. all of my references were like it's like this game i played called contra and life force <laughs> <laughs> And they were like, what the fuck is that? And then I said, well, you've heard of up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, you know, A, B, select, start. And they go, yeah, actually, we have heard of that. I said, that's fucking Contra, kids. Now you've learned something. And so that was my drop the mic moment. And that was about as far as it went with the, the bullet hell stuff. But, but I did talk about how there's like a spiritual quality that like you're you almost like you're in the midst of all this chaos of bullets flying at you. And you kind of find a way to like, I don't know use that as meditation i guess yeah. but you guys can explain bullet hell a little bit more because you're probably Specific- more tapped into gaming of that era specifically like when i think bullet hell i think top down vertical whereas contra you're more of a side, side scroll yeah right i guess uh, life force there were some levels of life force where i think you went that way or maybe um mm-hmm. well i mean even space invaders is kind of like the, sure. the earliest example imagine yeah. that but most of the galaga will kill you yeah galaga, yeah, galaga. yep yep yeah, uh, commando, like, commando. Yeah. yeah, there you go. These the prototype. Those, those, but on like lots of prescription amphetamines, like even more than I'm on right now. Sure. And with well, like all my video game music, yeah. All of yeah. my video game references are either tech mobile or eight bit Nintendo games. So that's like really where I tap out. So just be aware of that. <laughs> sure. You know. Um, I mean, I, you know, bullet hell games have never had much of an audience in the United States. I don't think. But they're like in in Japan where the arcade never quite died. Yeah. They're they're sort of this like niche ultra elite genre that 
that has this like diehard audience right and this is the sort of thing that it makes perfect sense that a guy who's like sort of jazzed by overstimulation like john chang would gravitate to like a a bullet hell game Mm -hmm. and um Ikaruga has a weird I'm not certain that it's actually a quote-unquote good game like I'm not certain of that but Ikaruga was this sort of minor breakout hit in the United States that sort of helped uh, popularize the idea of this genre in the United States around that time Um, and the thing about Ikaruga is it's like even for a bullet hell game it's notoriously hard or or was at the time i think now multiple people have like gone out of their way to be like we will make a game harder than ikaruga like i I think now it's sort of almost like passe to be like oh i've played a hard game i've played ikaruga to be clear i tried it once i couldn't get more than like 10 minutes like i couldn't beat the first level it's it's like one of the most punishing gaming experiences i've ever i've ever had but (laughs) i think i shared with you guys a, a a video there's a nice sort of like i watched video. that it was cool yeah right explain the idea behind like a bullet hell game and the cool thing about ikaruga the game is i didn't understand the idea of like a technical grind band like discordance axis even though i'd already listened to them until i played ikaruga because like the whole like you alluded to the whole point of the game is don't think stop trying to analyze what's yeah. happening you it's just need so to internalize the process it, it shuts mm-hmm. your brain up you know that's why that's how it's relaxing yes right? exactly yep. it's all about entering that that flow state and it's sort of like <laughs> that's gotta be the only way Witty could play the fucking drop yeah that's yeah right. yeah, yeah well yeah. think about that that what we just talked about with uh with compiling autumn like he actually had to like drop the headphones and not hear what anybody else was doing in order to like get through that drum experience like he had to let go you know like that's the ultimate sort of like zen kind of thing you know sure um, free jazz is sort of like that too you know cecil taylor and, and some of that like it's very threshold and if you try and like understand it too much you will not enjoy it but you almost have to just surround yourself with well, it just it's be- like a mindfulness thing right yeah. like you have to be completely present in the moment that you're playing like I, i'm friends with a, a fair number of like free improvisers and like the whole thing is that you just have to be listening the entire time you know yeah. like you have you have to be listening to the exact thing that you're doing and the exact thing that everyone else is doing and instead of being focused so much on the comp- like the individual parts or focusing on the composite compiled sound of what happens when all of your your playing happens at once, yeah, you know? and it's like I could see the comparison there with a bullet hell game because it's like all you have control over is the exact next next move that you make, you know, yeah. the next input, and getting too worried about like the bullets oh God, at the top of the screen, like you yeah. can't, yeah, you just have to like one move at a time and just be. You know, like it's it's all about mindfulness. Do you think you know? Tetris is sort of based off of the concept of bullet hell, but in a different sort of way? Yeah, I, I would say like probably you know that that sensation like like late game Tetris when it's yeah, like we're really just coming crazy. down on you. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to think of it in a similar way. We sort of talked a little bit about this for Requiem fans when we did our two part Allman Brothers episode, and we talked to our old yeah. manager from Northwoods Improvisers, who's played improv jazz for decades, and mm-hmm. kind of he really got into like what is improv music and how does it sort of work? And it sounds like that's kind of, you know, what you're sort of going for here in a way, but it's a lot more obviously discordant than, than, you know, a lot of that stuff. So um, yeah. Imagine, that's a, oh, go ahead. Imagine this is how like all sorts of 
they probably don't use like the analogy of a bullet hell game for it but i imagine that a lot of these you know metal musicians that we cover and maybe they play genres of music we don't all we don't all love i don't always love tech death i like me a little bit of tech death now and again but like if you're in like a necrophagist type band which is like obviously very different from gridlink but i think there is like a, that common idea and even as a listener too where it's like that the 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 transcendental experience of it and the key to understanding it is is actually like a kind of surrender yeah it's like abandon yourself wash over it yeah Yeah. and that's what i'll do that's what i had to do with inalienable is finally just sort of like put it on headphones and just stop trying to figure it out and just sort of let it play and then like as it was letting play i was kind of just like starting to reflect on it a little bit more and and it suddenly kind of starts seeping in it was weird i i don't i'm not saying that will work for anyone you know i don't think inalienable dreamless is a a record that you can just hand to anyone um but i think there's a way even if you're maybe not initially like a fan of grindcore to be able to sort of get something out of this record kind of intellectually you know um and certainly like you said Ian Gridlink's Gridlink's a little bit you know easier of a listen I think too for for people you know accessing this kind of music. Yeah, they take um, a lot of the same principles but do them in a way that's a bit more legible to a first timer, I would say. Sure, sure. And so I guess we should probably kind of talk about that sort of transition out of, you know, the band kind of ultimately kind of breaking up, you know, they did one last split with Corrupt It and a band called 324 um with two three, songs two, four is uh just so people are aware three two yeah. four is a legendary japanese grind band oh, this is okay this is another one of those bands that's like in that scene um uh, like a stalwart but hasn't made a lot of impact in america like uh, i'm thinking of other like nippon or grind bands like unholy grave or flattius idiosyncrasy in the dilapidation i can never pronounce that fucking <laughs> bands fucking name japanese grind is like a, a bottomless well of interesting fucking i was gonna say shit. that's probably like an untapped well of like weird you know like its own backstory you know exactly that's yeah. so that they got to do a split with those two bands at this time really was kind of a that's kind cool. of a coup corrupted is another band that's like probably never really gonna get back together and like people who are into corrupted would like cut off limbs to see them those guys i've heard of before and they have a certain reputation you know for sure so but yeah so so that's kind of it and then i think he did another band that we're not really covering um i forget who they are hayano daisuke okay is that the one where he was like influenced by like 80s hair metal a little bit right it, it's it would be too <laughs> See, much i even... love speed is that the the translation yeah. yeah the name means i love speed and like the general idea behind hayano daisuke was we're gonna do discordance access we're gonna do dragon force as if it was discordance access okay Interesting. Was, was the idea it is a very the one hayano daisuke record i have is a really fun listen that i do not need more than once a year uh, <laughs> it's something it's look it's an original fucking idea like yeah, i'll have to check that out i never got a chance to really like explore it you know because i knew we weren't going to play it on the show so yeah interesting bonus content yeah. yeah and then he hooks up with and i don't know a lot about mortalized uh but uh is it matsubara 
Is that how you pronounce him? Akafumi Matsubara. Okay. Uh, Matsubara-san. Um, and they were both fans of each other. And uh, what's the story of Immortalized? Um, I don't know a lot, a lot about them. Immortalized is also a, like, I think they're more gore grindy, but they were, like, around at the same time. Um, I believe Discordance Axis is, like, last Japanese tour. I think Immortalized was the opening band. Oh, okay. So that's how they kind of knew each other. Yeah. These are guys who are, they're running in the same circles. Like, obviously at this point, you know, John, it seems like sort of like spiritually he was living in Japan. Yeah. He talks about it in the interview. I don't know if you got to that point about how his favorite place in the world is Tokyo. It's Tokyo. Yeah. So Yeah. It makes a lot of sense for, for him to work with Takafumi. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then they form Gridlink out of this. So, um, so give us, give us a little bit of kind of an intro uh, to sort of Gridlink and kind of what their aesthetics about. And, and I know we've kind of hinted at it before, but. Yeah. I mean, I would say from my perspective, like I got into Gridlink and then sort of went back and rediscovered uh, Discordance Axis as a Gridlink fan. And to me, what makes them significantly different is that their their riff style is much more conventional, but it mm -hmm. keeps the same like hyper fast drumming against that conventional riff style. So it'll have these like more melodic, like sort of trem picked melodies against the like double time blast beats under it, or these almost like sped up thrash riffs playing against that sort of double time. Uh, like Amber Gray that we're going to hear the title track from their debut, you know, kind of sounds like Discordance Axis mixed with like Slayer for yeah. like better lack of terms, you know? Right. Um, and I, I feel like it's so much of the Discordance Axis riffing style are these like micro cells of musical information that just get repeated kind of ad nauseum or like warped over time. Whereas with Gridlink, I feel like you could take a lot of their songs and just play the drums slower and they would sound like much more conventional like heavy metal sure. songs yeah uh but they just sort of like they do the bullet hell thing with it. they crank it up to like the highest density possible and turn them into these like blurs that are like a minute long mm -hmm. but as you listen to the whole record i feel like you kind of hear these developing melodic cadences over the course of an album rather than over the course of a single song uh where it almost feels like it's a single 10 minute piece of music um, rather than like a bunch of discrete individual one minute pieces of music. Like that's at least my experience of that band. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it. And speaking of the drummer, uh, Brian uh, Fajardo is that Fajardo. Fajardo from Phobia and Kill the Clients. And many other bands. I actually have a funny, I've got a funny Brian Fajardo story if we have time. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so at the first Northwest Terror Fest, which Ian was there, but I don't, did you see this? Were you there with me go, when go this on, happened, yeah. Ian? This is amazing. No one like knows that this happened. Um, Noisier was supposed to play, and I think, I think it was their vocalist and one of the guitarists, maybe, or at least the vocalist. Um, there was an issue, and they couldn't make their flight, and they had to, like fly in that morning and play their set and then leave. So Brian Fajardo's there, and another member of of. Um, uh, another member of uh, Noisier is there and no one else is. So they they decide to perform an improvised set with the singer from uh, Cephalic Carnage. Yep. Um, yeah. And 
a decent part of that set was Brian Fajardo and the other guy from Noise Here playing Gridlink songs, oh, but the geez. guy from Cephalic Carnage didn't know what, what they were doing, so oh. he's just kind of going, erp, erp, up, eep, over, like, <laughs> over <laughs> Gridlink riffs. It's like the first obituary record, then. <laughs> exactly. It was... The, you could see the crowd like standing there kind of crossing arms like what is going on and i was the same way too and it wasn't until afterward that like the guitarist comes and goes congratulations you just saw the only gridlink show in the past five years yeah. <laughs> and just walks away from me jesus improv <laughs> grind man that's that's wild that's wild an improv tribute to gridlink yeah oh jeez the other song off uh, amber gray their debut is a song that um Again, I, one of the things that's interesting about John, because he's kind of the focus here, is on that title track, John's like unhinged. And he's like really in the upper register with the shrieking. I don't know if that's just because of age. You know, I mean, he, that's a seven years later after uh, Ikaruga. Um, but on Burning Tiamat, the second tune that we're going to hear from Amber Gray, I just wrote John Chang, ladies and gentlemen. I said he sounds like he sounds like Alicia from The First Disrupt. And, <laughs> and Alicia's performance, and I, we did a Disrupt episode for, for newer Requiem fans. Go to the, the website, you know, Requiem, uh, requiempodcast.com, and you can find it. Uh, and that's my favorite extreme metal female performance ever, hands yeah. down, hands down. Just, And he's almost imitating that sort of level of ferocity in a song like Burning uh, Tiamat that I think is just like, I don't know it's fascinating to me that's 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 what i kind of got from these these first two kind of grid league songs is really i was kind of john focused i mean i dig the guitar work here a lot too but um but that that's kind of what i gravitated to so that might be a left field uh curveball that i just threw at you guys there but that's hey that's my uh that's my take i guess on that one so yeah my only like other things i wanted to mention with amber gray in particular is that he you start to see a, a little i at least caught a bit more of the philip k dick stuff on this record like on pattern recognition there's a reference to precogs which is like minor minority report sure yeah, um, yeah. and yep. like dead pixels in the grains of the sky i thought that was very william gibson neuromancer kind of thing okay i didn't um, even look at the lyrics so this is good i'm glad you po pointed this out yeah, man. I uh, then on uh, steak knife uh, we get uh, Dodon Pachi, which is another Bullet Hell song, uh, Bullet Hell video game that he's referencing in that song, and I think also Dragon Ball. Oh, really? Oh, is it? I think it's okay. I, yeah, Mercenary. <laughs> well, it's like the Tao King B, the... I think, is the, the right the translation and we also get the void comp test which is uh blade runner yeah blade blade runner. Runner. Oh, you do androids dream of electric sheep if we're exactly talking about yeah so we, we you can sort of start to see how this is like differentiated lyrically from discordance axis you get a bit more of the uh the philip k dick and bullet hell stuff in uh, gotcha. and also but, of course the song oscar yeah well it's requiem fans don't know but real human instrumentality podcast fans know if you make an oscar reference we'll catch it i i i my tsundere queen cannot be defeated uh is this is this like uh with requiem where we try and work in like some kind of reference to boner comedies like every episode from the 80s sure okay. there's a similar okay i don't know 
it's my personal favorite character from the show as much as i try not to relapse into bad anime fandom every so often it's like ah but that one character it happens you know if i had my way i'd try and work a gene gray phoenix reference into every episode just kind of sneak it in mark would be all for it but i i haven't found like a way to like Gene Amber Gray. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Oh Amber my Thank God. You. Thank you, Ian. That's, <laughs> yes. We appreciate that. Gene Gene Gray, Oscar's my Gene Gray. There you go. I, that's <laughs> why I was kind of connecting to that. So yeah. I've always had like a thing for red haired fictional characters. Like I had a real thing for Daphne on Scooby Doo. I don't know. It's a real <laughs> fucking phobia. You might enjoy <laughs> the presence of, of Oscar as well. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> Oscar enjoy Daphne. If you, if you, you like red hair great characters you know yes if you like feisty redheads that's hey, uh, feisty redheads oscars for you and then i uh are we if before this is what you want are you so more stuff for amber gray and that that covers it for me yeah uh i just had a little uh snippet about orphan i don't know if people know but the song orphan was actually in the tv show homeland homeland season one i was gonna i was no hoping someone would bring it up yeah it's so i well kind of notoriously as you're gonna explain right during a torture scene of course it is oh wow yeah yeah except maybe john chang would be into that um well this is this is what i was going to say about this record is i feel like it's uh not so secretly a record about the war in the middle east like there's a lot of stuff lyrically on this album that i feel like is is referencing um the either the war in iraq or afghanistan uh but from a sort of like weird anime perspective like uh it on the the closing track uh the last red shoulder there's a reference to like a a buddhist temple that was destroyed um by like a muslim army and he's right taliban yeah Yeah, the taliban were doing afghanistan yep and so so it's almost this like instead of taking like an american uh pro-war in iraq stance it almost feels like it's tapping into some other vert like approach to the same sort of idea it's like a, it's like interesting record lyrically yeah lyrically. almost like an asian perspective on the war or something like that yeah. yeah oh you also get in embers blood and treasure there's references to uh fang of the sun Daogram. is that the name of the uh, the anime it's this old anime from the 70s that has like these guerrilla uh freedom fighters called the d layer seven and there's also references to some characters from gundam i don't know gundam particularly well that's more joseph's area of expertise but he's layering in i'm the gundam guy it's true yeah uh well it's interesting you bring up that that last reference because one of the things that comes up in the interview that people will probably hear is uh john talks about what a fan he is of the film from the 60s battle of algiers oh yeah 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 i love that movie that yeah it's great it's incredible film. but you know you kind of referencing whatever the reference you just made kind of reminded me of, of some of that you know the aspect to it um, totally yeah i mean even like the the opening track uh dar el harb is like the it translates to like home of war it's like a contested area it's like the whole record is kind of littered with these references to to warfare and he's using a lot of references to islam and to the middle east i think to as well as anime to kind of illustrate this so i feel like there is kind of this subtext of you yeah. could read it as like a an album about america's presence in the middle east at that time i mean and notoriously you... sorry not to cut you off oh, go ahead. Saying, yeah, yeah. not notoriously i should say but like this is a known this is this isn't new information but 
Chang's done a few interviews since I found these in my research for this episode where I, I think like 9-11 sort of had like a deep, like very disturbing impact on on him. I think it like he'll it talk was, about it in the interview. Yep. Yeah. Like I, I it, it seems like in in the way that maybe if discordance axis hadn't just broken up when they did, maybe 9-11 would have iced the project anyway because it it, mm-hmm. it seems as though like that that event just had this cast a shadow over his mind that that yeah. I, I think he's still in his lyrics and in, in like his work as a comics author and his work as a game developer i think i think he still grapples with that topic a lot sure sure yeah yeah for sure musically one thing i noticed in orphan um because that's kind of where i was kind of coming at these songs i wasn't really breaking into the lyrics as much which i'm glad you guys did you kind of get a weird, like, uh, almost like a black metal, like, tremolo riff. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. You know, that's something you didn't hear in Discordance. That's that's for sure. And then we sort of wrap up with, I think, what's kind of widely considered their, I don't know, their masterpiece, but certainly the record that got them quite a lot of attention, which is, uh, is it Long Hanna? Is Long Hanna, yeah. Long Hanna, yeah. Um, I mean, that's, you know, Constant Autumn and Last Raven are kind of the one-two punch that sort of kick that whole record off, um, you know, I notice a lot of like bits of newer Voyevod, um, some noise yeah. block, indie-ish kind of things that are a little left of center in some of the stuff, especially in Constant Autumn, mm-hmm. you know, and then by the time you get to Last Raven, you know, this really cool, like dissonant stuff, um, you know, the me- the middle section, um, you know, uh, what did I say? Oh, uh, yeah, that's where the dissonance is. And then there's even some kind of Slayer kind of punk grind energy that's kind of going on. I said... I just wrote, this is a record I'm going to spend some more time with because I really did enjoy, I mean, I ended up finding it and buying it on Discogs and stuff. Um, but yeah, even at the near the end of Last Raven, you get this sort of bright, triumphant kind of part that's kind of weird. You know, that was something you wouldn't have heard a lot of. on. on so, yeah, it's almost like Death Heaven-ish, you know? Yeah. Like there, there's this kind of like slide into the, the, uh, the major key that happens mm-hmm. a lot more on that record that, uh, yeah, definitely we would never have heard that on a discordance access record. And it's pretty interesting to, to see it pop up here. Did yeah. I was going to. Did Gridlink have much of a, uh, sorry to interrupt Joseph. Did, did Gridlink, did this long, long Hannah have like a, it, I, I seem to remember reading a little bit about this record or more and, and decibel sort of covered it. I've seen it show up on some kind of best of lists and things. This seems like the one that kind of was like right. the, the coming out party a little bit more in terms of yeah. like how people perceived it or, or. I mean, it, it was interesting because I feel like it, by the time it came out, it was already announced that it was going to be their last one. Um, at least that was the idea. And I feel like it was the kind of thing where, you know, like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King winning all the Oscars. It's like, oh, this band's closing up shop. Let's celebrate it now, you know, is yeah. sort of the, the vibe okay. that I got. Got it. And, and I think it sort of came out. I mean, it's only it's 15 years after inalienable dreamless and you know i think that had been just enough time for the world to catch up to Gridlink, and they were also like away for long enough that they'd sort of even like right before long hannah had come out like acquired this sort of like reputation as a like man they broke up too soon if you know you know yeah type band right i mean because witty had gone on to municipal waste municipal waste becomes sort of this like trend starting world beating band that is still um a a massive crossover success and draw 
Sure. Right. And, and for and, me too, he was doing Burnt by the Sun, which I was a big, I'm a bigger yeah. fan of Burnt by the Sun than right. I am Municipal Waste, you know, for sure. me personally, but, um, but, but yeah, so, in, yep, he's big. He's in these other bands <laughs> yeah. doing interviews saying, oh, my best performance is Inalienable Dreamless. And so yeah. all these other people had time to go back, discover it, not come at it with the baggage of, oh, I'm a grind guy and be like, oh shit, look at this, right? And so right at that same time, you've got Long Hannah coming out with a lot similar concept, same vocalist. And um, in the same way that I feel like, like Discord and Saxon's careers, like them spending two albums winding up to do Inalienable Dreamless. I like Amber Gray. I like Orphan. But to me, they're like griddling, doing the warm-ups before trying to make Grind 4.0. Yeah. Right. And and like and that's Long Hannah, where it's there's a string section on it, but it's not cheesy. It's not like power metally. Like it's just yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And you know, before where he's like, oh, bass is bad. Long Hannah has six string fretless bass uh, on it. And, and when I listen to it, like I, I know you y'all love um, that first Star Tran- Tranquility album, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why. It's wild. Yeah. I think Long Hen is almost like the grind answer to that album where it, it, I, they used, Takafumi used ultra light gauge strings and I think it's tuned above E. Okay. If I'm correct. So it has this super sharp, bright, brittle guitar tone mixed with, you know, Fayardo trying his best to do what Witty did and I think kind of getting there. Um, and even more cinematic stuff. Plus, for the first time since Discordance Axis, this is the one where he's really he's leaning back into Evangelion. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he's got the plug suit on the cover. You know, he's he's going back into the weird fucking you know emotion lyrics. Stay without me. Um, and and. and what can yeah, it's, a, it's a much more like confessional record compared to the other two grid link albums. It feels like sort of abandoning all of the, the sci-fi metaphors and whatnot, and just being like, here's my heart on the table. Yeah. Uh, and and it, it comes from a much more mature place. I think than even the, the, the discordance stuff, it feels like now I'm able to just say how I feel like whether or not you understand what LCL or like an AT field is, doesn't matter. Like you're going to get where I'm coming from here. Well, even right. Chang says it's the best thing I've done in my career uh, in music. Um, I didn't have to compromise one part of my vision and we were able to get exactly what I thought it was going to sound like. I wouldn't change a fucking thing on that record, you know? And that might've been just like, uh, you know, something he thought right in the moment, you know, but I think he, I think he thinks fondly of inalienable as well, but I think those are like his two kind of musical peaks, you know, for him. So I see these two as like, as like call and response. I like, I see them as weird twins and echoes of, I wouldn't want one without the other. I wouldn't like my, my like musical life isn't complete without both of these kind of next to one another. Yeah. Um, Yeah. They're companion pieces in a weird way, even though, like you said, they're separated by 15 years apart, but they do kind of, they're like twin satellites, you know? Yeah, totally. But all right, well, let's get into it. Let's, uh, let's let people kind of hear what this good link stuff's all about, but we're going to first hear uh, Ikaruga, the one of the final discordance access tunes from 2001. 
Um, then we're going to hear Amber Gray from Gridlink, Burning Tiamat, Orphan, and then a pair of tunes from Longhenna, Constant Autumn, and The Last Raven. Physically having things is a huge difference between interacting them with them for a moment on a, on a, on a handheld device where, like, it's gone and the next thing is up three seconds later. Absolutely. Right? Like yeah, the, it's an instant the gratification. Scroll, the effect of scrolling, if you will, right? Yep, yeah. It's the instant gratification of all of this, you know, and I think that that, you know, I teach a media literacy unit in one of my global awareness classes and, like, man, kids really appreciate that unit because we do get into, like, the dimensions of social media and what it's doing to their brains and all this. And, like, I've had kids, like, walk up at the end of class with their phone and go, what the fuck do you want me to do with this thing? Do you want me to put this in the trash? Because I'm scared of this thing now. I'm like, good. At least you're, like, aware of the weaponizing, you know, like, you know, it's so it's fun. Like I said, that's the part of teaching I like is that they are still, they're still in a state of, even if they come in apathetic, you can still reach them at that age group. You just have to find like the way to like crack the shell almost, you know, for some of those kids. And it's almost like a challenge. Like, hey, I, you know, you you think this is going to be a boring class? Well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to fucking blow your expectations out of the water. And all of a sudden you got to, you know. <laughs> nice. I don't know. So it's pretty fun. But um, all right. I guess to wrap up, because I know I've kept you for too long, I guess. Um Anything yeah, you needed like three poll quotes and we talked for yeah, an hour and a half. It's, it's all right, man. This, this has been really fun. I, I appreciate all this. Um, do, you, do you have any last questions you want to wrap up with? Yeah, I guess just, you know, anything about like with what's going on with no one knows what the dead think uh, and then kind of just the state of where you're at kind of creatively, you know, in terms of what you're working on with games and comics and bands and, and other things like that. Just sort of wrap up. Okay. Well, no one knows what the dead think was kind of a one shot. Basically, uh, Rob Martin came over to my house when we were when we were going to do the uh the interview for that uh slave to the grind documentary yeah yep. and uh so we, it's funny we, we talked to that guy for like an hour and a half two hours and i think like like two minutes made it into the i film, was gonna say like, there's very know, little yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and of course the most sensationless lines it's amazing um but regardless don't worry, that's what we're going to do with this podcast. I'm just going to pull the weirdest... No, yeah, pull, pull the lines, just going <laughs> to string it together so yes. it's like, like I'm actually saying something about like white nationalism. Yeah, sure, um, no, why not? Like, yeah, why not? I mean, like, like, like I mean... Anyways, uh, yeah, so no one knows what the, the dead think was a one-shot. It was like Rob Rob Martin had written a number of songs over the, you know, in the intervening 20 years, and um, we got together and we recorded them. We, we asked Dave if he wanted to do it. Uh, Dave was was not uh, able to play those songs. It's like he's in a different phase of his life, and like playing flash beats all the time is. I mean, it's just not. It's not what he. It's not what he does, right? Sure. Like, like. Um, so we ended up looking at a couple other drummers. We talked to Brian Fajardo, who was the drummer from Gridlink, and Brian's schedule was basically couldn't accommodate um, uh, doing the record. And we we ended up working with uh, Kiyoshi Nakano, uh, who's friend of mine online very talented young man from japan uh he he had to really step up because he was a two-foot blast beat guy and we, we you know rob martin the way time signatures rob martin writes in you can't really play two feet blast beats to them because they're like seven 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 or seven eight or something they're they're weird time signatures so if you're playing you can't play like left right left right it doesn't work you'll always end up on the wrong foot is yeah. what i was it was how it was explained to me um so he learned how to do one foot blast beats, and you know, we made a record that we didn't even really think of as a grindcore record necessarily. It was just like, this is Rob's band, right? Like Discord Access was my band. This was Rob's band.
different than the discordance was. Um, and that, that's not by design. It's just because I was a different man at that point in my life. Like I'm in my thirties. Um, I've grown up a lot. I now have family and, and I'm responsible for somebody more than myself. And that's going to inform, you know, and I, and I've got like, you know, like 15 years of life experience new since, since, or like, I guess, well, I guess it was closer to like five more years of life experience. Um, that was, I'd already, I'd, I'd been to China, Hong Kong, pre post communist. So I, I really had a very different understanding of the world. 9-11 had happened. Um, you know, 9-11 was a hugely pivotal moment for me in my life because I was basically on the way to work when it happened. And, and, uh, and it was like, it was the war that I thought was going to happen and I wasn't prepared for it to happen. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, like no. like I, I I was I was studying I, I had been studying that stuff on my own. I was very interested in like uh, the politics of the Middle East, Al Qaeda, uh, Afghanistan, like sort of black operations post Cold War was just a really interesting period of history for me. And I was learning more and more about like what was going on. I'm like, my God, we're we're heading to a war. And you know in I mean, at the time, my attitude was Bush is building missile defense systems. That's not that's not what we need to be worried about right now. We need to like be increasing intelligence agencies, footprints on the ground, blah blah blah. You know, I could go on forever, and people will run brand me like a fascist. It'll be great. Um, but like at the end of the day, like um, Gridlink is very much about an experience of a person who's living alongside people who are fighting a war, and like the estrangement that that I felt from the rest of like my peers because I had a very different take on, on the war than they did. Gotcha. And, and a lot, yeah. and a lot of that has to do with, with what I was doing, not just work wise, but like the people I chose to have relationships with, which were mostly guys who were fighting in the war at that time. Yeah. Um, and like that, that's been, that's been a big part of my life since ever since that happened. Like, you know, my career went from being one thing to something completely different because of nine 11. And, and Gridlink, like, like music-wise, like that, 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 you know, the, the Amber Gray is like pure aggression. Like that whole record is about aggression, and like just like frustration and all of the, all of, all of the different ways that like people fooled themselves into to finding like ourselves in a war. And and there are there are there are the you know the usual. There's a layer of metaphor in there, but but or- Orphan is even more so. Like I mean, Orphan references all these different like like. Like RMA, like Votums is a big one, um, but like like lesser known were Edeon. There's lines about Edeon and Gundam in there, um, and and they're referencing very specific things in those shows, which I thought had equivalence to what I was seeing in in people in the West specifically. Uh, that 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 I found incredibly frustrating, and and it was. Like, like, a, I don't want to say a lack of understanding, but it's almost like an unwillingness to learn or an unwillingness to understand the reality of the situation, and instead a, a sort of knee-jerk reaction to simply assume the worst about ourselves because we couldn't imagine somebody, you know, it's like a very childish thing to imagine that, like, you know, we're, like, you're part of the bad guys. Like, oh my god, if only we could write this ship, you know, the world would be okay. And, like, that's, like, that's just not reality. And like orphan is literally about that. Like it, it literally is about being estranged from like everybody and like not being able to have relationships with people at that point because no one could like it. It, it, it was it was impossible for people to understand 
how somebody could be a patriot and believe in America and th- and and think that like like going out and like into these other countries and like hunting down these people and killing them was a good thing. Um, and like that, you know, for better or for worse, I believe that that is a good thing. And, you know, like, like, like Gridling very, and, and, and again, the stuff that I was referencing specifically is more about that. Like the references are more overt to like how people felt about war and fighting in these these old these older um, these older stories told by the Japanese, which had incredible insights into humanity that I, I couldn't actually appreciate until we I found myself or I or, you know I found myself in a in a country that was a, in a in a war that was not like an uh, it was not like a traditional war it wasn't like you know we're fighting Germany or something we're fighting an ideology yeah. and we're going everywhere to fight it and it, we're not fighting it with tanks on battlefields. We're going into people's homes in the middle of the night and shooting them. Yeah. Or blowing them up with a missile. And like like Zeta Gundam and Ideon had a lot of that in there. Votums had a lot of that in there. Like, you know, like the actual what the actual cost of like war and the, that like no matter what, what people do, we always fall back into that conflict. And and Long Long Hanna is kind of like the ultimate conclusion of that idea because Long Hanna a lot of it was written when I thought I was gonna have a divorce. Because I was, it was a very rough time in my life, and uh, a very rough time for my wife and my kid, and there was all this incredible pressure and all this incredible like anger and frustration and sadness. Because every every week or every couple of weeks, you'd hear about like somebody you knew getting killed, like blown up by an IED or suicide bomber, and like you know the things that were happening. Like when I would talk to guys when they came back, because I was working with them at the time, you know it was like horrifying, and I I couldn't understand how people weren't aware that this was happening like how is this being so like like not understood by 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 like american society very specifically versus like other societies and like like long henna for you know to keep going here so long henna is actually the villain hang on a second okay Okay. so yeah long henna is the actual villain in the dodon pachi and don pachi games and so those are those are shmups like uh, top scrolling shooters like these you know bullet hell games and the, the sort of secret story of, of, of the Donpachi games is you're you're part of a, a of a fighting program and they essentially tricked you to go and wipe out all of your comrades in the most brutal you know the brutal uh, this brutal war where you essentially for for this guy this general this commander Long Hanna who created this program he, he essentially tricks you and your your co- your your like your the guys in your squadron or the girls in your squadron to go to go fight this war of, of Armageddon where you annihilate like essentially the the uh the the sort of like you know the 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 good guys if you will right and and the second loop of the game is you now fighting the true army his true army um and that is actually goes throughout the entire themes of the the long henna record a lot of it's about that there's a lot of references to area 88 also which is one of my first loves as a, as a manga and one of the first comic books I was really in, in, excited by when I was a little kid. I really was into the story. And it, it also has a tremendous number of applications to like life as I've come to see how, how right these guys got. And whether they knew it or not, they, these are incredibly insightful stories like Red Badge of Courage or Matterhorn level quality storytelling and like truths about, about being a person. Yeah. And, you know that 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 was what I was trying to like bring to Long Henna. You know, it's again, it's through the, the the sort of lens of a video game, but at the same time, it really 
it, it's really not through that much of a lens because that was the theme of the video game to begin with. I was actually watching like a YouTube video um, recently about like the idea of whether those bullet hell games can be kind of like a form of meditation. I don't know if you've seen that video floating around I have not, YouTube. But it's absolutely true. Yeah, and it was pretty interesting. I'm not a huge gamer. I have friends that are. Um, I'm too consumed with doing shit like this, like podcasting and teaching. I I, I have too many hobbies at this point, but um, but I definitely appreciate it. Like I'm rereading all the Uncanny X Men right now just for shits and giggles. Like you know, I'm just I. I I find things to occupy my life, but but I can appreciate that aspect to it, that sort of meditative kind of quality and, and stuff. And it's interesting. I'm not trying to draw like allusions to it, but like that sort of naivety that you were talking about about people's lack of awareness of maybe like the 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 PTSD and some of the things that friends of yours who were part of the war were sort of experiencing, and just how like the naivety of kind of people around you maybe. Like um, as a teacher right now, like I have I actually have friends that like teach at Oxford, you know, where the school shooting was a couple weeks ago and stuff. And it's like, it's kind of like the state of like mind of psychology of like teachers right now is in a really fucked up place. And I don't think like a lot of people who aren't in the teaching profession, like understand or appreciate that. And I've started to get this like weird, like out of body experience when I talk to people who aren't teachers who almost like belittle the experience or don't fully comprehend like what we're going through, not just COVID, but with this sort of just the added pressures of, you know, school shootings, just all this other weird fucking bizarre shit, you know, C, you know, CRT, everything we're being blamed for. And it's, 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 again, it, I think it's a different thing than what you're talking about, but I can almost like relate to it in a way of like that being almost stuck in a society where no one around you actually understands your perspective or understands what your experiences are. And you just have to like, almost like suck it up and just like exist and i don't know it's a it's a weird feeling to sort of taste sometimes i guess and i I don't know if that's exactly what you were talking about but that's kind of something i kind of connected or related to it you know so there 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 i mean obviously i don't know your experiences right like because it's a big country and like like the some of the things you're talking about have different ramifications in different places and like people have different attitudes about them sure um and and you know uh, with, with what I'm talking about, uh, I don't. So so maybe you can tell me. Uh, like one of the things that I've experienced is that when guys get out of you know the military, um, PTSD is is really not a very well understood thing by by most people who haven't actually been through. Uh, uh, you know, like some kind of experience because PTSD is rarely about something you did. It, it, it's about what you saw happen to people like you. So, but like, like the things that haunt the guys I know is not about like, Oh my God, you know, like the, the pile of little arms, right? What haunts the guys is like, Hey, I, we didn't kill enough of them. Uh, like we should have yeah. killed way more of these people than we did. We should have been allowed to actually like annihilate them. And it's like it's like the difference between the 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 Coppola ending of Apocalypse Now versus the the theatrical ending of Apocalypse Now. Do you know that story? Uh, I mean, I've seen I, I've seen the Redux cut, and I've seen parts of like the six hour cut. But no, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So so it, yeah, it's it's not. So this is the original theatrical cut. So when they when they finished Apocalypse Now and they made the movie, they shot they they were part of their agreement with the Philippines government at the time was anything you put up in the the, the jungle you have to take it down. Just don't leave your shit here, right? Sure. Yep. Um, uh, so 
So they at the end of the movie, they were like, well, you know, let's blow up the camp. Blow the, the, cam- the compound up, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they filmed this crazy scene of like the 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 Kurtz camp getting obliterated, like like literally everything in it destroyed, and it's this crazy sequence, right? And um, so when Apocalypse Now was first screened, because you know Coppola was kind of like you know the Godfather is, is a big deal, he was making a new movie. The movie had no credits, no opening credits, and no closing credits. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they handed people out like a booklet with like lobby cards and stuff like that, and you know, cast and credit information, and that's how you got the the credit experience. And you know, in, in that version of the movie, Willard leaves the like the the tri, you know Kurtz's people essentially. He's put weapons down and left them in peace, right? Like that, like like the notion is that like the West brought these people war, and we're now when we when the West leaves, they'll they'll they're not going to be at war anymore, and maybe they can finally have a chance at knowing peace. Yeah. So the the theatrical cut. Right after the, the the image fades to black and you hear PBR Street Gang, you know this is Almighty. Um, it cuts to the, the 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 sort of like heavy distorted you know music, and then they show the the footage of the camp being obliterated. So the implication is that like Willard, after he convinces everybody to disarm and takes the Americans, obliterates their culture. Like every aspect of it, every single living thing is destroyed. All of the statues, all of the temples are obliterated, and. Um, I thought that was an incredibly – that was the apocalypse now. Like that was the bold statement at the end of that movie, right? Yeah. Like it was – It was. it's a really heavy uh, – it's a really heavy end to the movie and Coppola hates it, hated it because it was, you know, it's really fucking dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> like, it's probably more spot on in a certain sense, you know? I mean well, it's it's kind of capturing a certain aspect of imperialism or, you know, whatever if, if you know, from well, that aspect. Think, but says to me, what it said to me and you know it's like it's like like gun your teacher so have you read gun german steel oh yeah yeah jerry yeah. diamond so yep. like 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 it reinforces a lot of stuff in guns german germs and steel like everybody is the same we're just at different levels of being able to annihilate each other yes yeah and yeah. like like there's no culture that's like altruistic or special like we like pe- people weren't getting along and doing great in north america before like europeans showed up here they were doing the exact same shit as the Europeans, except the Europeans had better tech. Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, like, like, right, like, like, and sure. that, that to me was the end of Apocalypse. Now is that like these are the, like these people. This is humanity. Like, <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Cool. Like, like pe- people left left to their own devices will annihilate each other. Yeah, and like it's only through the authoritarian implication of like force, like the balance of like I don't know autocracy, right, autocratic power, like. Like, like, organiz, you know, organization, right? Like, you know, we have it in, in our country, a republic. Military is more of a dictatorship, right? Like, yeah. there's there's rules, but, like, essentially, it's like you follow orders, right? It's social contract. Um, yeah, that's the only thing that's keeping us from, like, slaughtering each other sometimes, you know? Yeah, and, and, and I feel like, like, that's what that movie shows. It's like the further we get away from Saigon where there's, like, you know, there's, you know, there's more order we actually see what people are really like. Like, what is it, like, the, the scene on the Dolong Bridge when they're, like, you know, these people are, like, killing each other and they hate each other, And but, but like, for what? The bridge, they're going to blow the bridge up and then they're going to build the bridge and they're going to blow the bridge up and they're going to build the bridge. And I hate I hate the guy who's out there with the AK-47 shooting at me and he hates me for for being here. Why? Yep. For, for, like, does anybody really think that yeah. the notion, yeah, of, like, of imposing one economic system on another to a bunch of farmers really matters? Yep. Yeah, like, 
you know, like communism, communists were not good to the Vietnamese people. Like they're genocidal murderers. Um, but on the same token, most of the, the more Western rulers weren't that much different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know? Yep. So, so like, so, so like recognizing that and like, like holding on to what you have and like understanding that like, like life is, life is a lot of, there's a lot of balance in life. And you have to have balance. Like you can't be like, you can't be like as pure as I want this this music or this art to be. Like like that 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 there there's definitely a. I mean, I think that's why grindcore, when it's done right, is almost entirely inaccessible. Yeah. Right. Like because it because it because it, it it's so raw and honest that like you can't you're like you can't like live just listening to that kind of music, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe you can. I don't know, but I think I think I think it'd be pretty rough to only listen to grindcore twenty four seven. Yeah, you'd be sort of trapped inside something that you almost can't escape. You know, um, yeah, no, no, you bring up a really good point. It's kind of like people like if they live just in like a world of like abstract free jazz, like like yeah, there's 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 a musical superiority to some of the complex things that you're doing, but at a certain point, like, are you even able to like access like life outside of that anymore? You know, like, have you then cut yourself off from like everything else because of your like pursuit of this purity or something? You know? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, think about the first couple of Rush records when they figured out prog rock and how great those Rush records are, and then you think about the last couple of Rush Rush records, and it's like. It's almost complexity for the sake of complexity. Yeah, it's like an exercise in futility or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're really, really skilled. But sure. Like, but sure. like, but like, you know, like when I listen to the later Rush stuff, I mean, and you know, again, whatever, they, they can't play the same twelve songs forever. Sure, Vapor um, Trails are right. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, but but like, I don't, I don't get the same sort of. I'm not transported to places, and I'm not like moved in the same way by uh i don't even know what some of the later records were but like you know just a, the obvious one right moving pictures sure. or 2112 or um you know uh permanent waves right like these are all incredible albums um and they they did re- I, and it's funny i couldn't appreciate rush till like four or five years ago and then it like clicked for me and i was like holy shit this is this is actually brilliant music i could always hear something in there but i didn't know i didn't really it didn't click Sure. And then when it clicked, I was like, "Ah, oh, I fucking get it!" Like these guys were so ahead of their time. And then like listening, listening to like other bands who toured with them talk about them, I'm like, "Yeah, the Rush guys didn't go out and get partied or do drugs or get drunk or or, or fuck all the groupies. Now they just went to bed early." It's those, it's well, it's that famous Kiss tour where Gene Simmons is like, "Yeah, they were just boring, you know. We took yeah. them out on tour and they just hung out in the hotel room the whole time, you know." So yeah. Yeah, I mean they were like mathematicians. And yeah, shit, but their know? brain, yeah, their brains were thinking about different things. Yeah, exactly. No, that's yeah. that's that's a really good point. Yeah, that was the last Raven, Constant Autumn, Orphan, Burning Tiamat, and Amber Gray from Gridlink, and then we kicked things off with Ikaruga from Discordance Axis. And so, gentlemen, we kind of come as boys to men would say to the end of the road. Um, and yeah, and we, we leap forward about five years later um to 2019 and um john gets back together with rob which is pretty cool uh rob from discordance access rob martin mm-hmm. um willow tip records who is you said is reissuing a lot of this old or they're they're are they going to be reissuing a bunch of the old discordance access stuff is that you're kind of hinting at? let or? me check my email inbox but i believe they're doing the entire discography beginning 
with inalienable dreamless and moving backward but i will have oh, cool. willow tips facts for you here in just a moment gentlemen oh, no problem but again you know we've got you know to me it's like almost a marriage of some of the melodic elements of Gridlink with obviously the you know the dissonance and, and some of the stuff that rob's guitar playing the, the voyevodisms kind of uh that you bled through into discordance access but I don't know a lot about this project. It was something I did. I knew about Gridlink, but I don't think I had ever heard of No One Knows What the Dead Think. Maybe Decibel covered it briefly, but I, I missed it. You know, so um, tell me a little about this project and kind of what your your overall thoughts are. You know, is it good? Where does it fit for you within the in the trajectory of these guys? I don't know. Man, I mean, I feel like I've only listened to this record once, and it was like on my commute to work, and I didn't give it really a lot of extreme focus and i remember thinking it was like good but kind of scattershot like it didn't feel like a cohesive like statement in the way that like the grid link records or the discordance axis records did but it was still like oh i i totally see the lineage but i feel like i need to maybe like revisit it i yeah. you know maybe it's the same kind of thing where like all of their projects seem to be have been slow burns and maybe it'll take a bit more you know time on the fire for this one to really click with me Gotcha. Yeah. Just just to go back for one second, just to clarify, I am incorrect. Willow Tips only doing inalienable dreamless. Okay. Only doing inalienable dreamless. She sells seashells. <laughs> so, she, um, so we won't be able to get those early records still. Yeah, I'm. Jeez. Well, maybe well, if maybe if inalienable sells well. Yeah. Um, maybe. But I do remember when no one knows what the dead think like when it hit my inbox as a as a critic and i was someone who was like thirsty sure for yeah. for more right like i was like long hina was going out on top i wanted more and and just seeing that they said rob martin john chang one album like i i think like a lot of people or a select group of people i just kind of shot up at my desk and was like give it to me yeah give me give me discordance access to um and that's not fair yeah. of me um, because <laughs> well, Dave's a crucial element to that DA formula, first of all, and 20 years has passed too, you know? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And to be clear, Kyosuke Nakano, who does the drums on this, I think is a more than competent drummer. Sure. I think he yeah. does the style very well. And I, it, it does it seem like, you know, it was marketed as a spiritual successor to to discordance access but then again so was gridlink to some extent and um no one knows what the dead think to me this album sounds like if they'd broken up after joho and come back mm -hmm. and try to continue from there without having done inalienable yeah inalienable uh -huh. or 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 the the gridlink stuff so is it good yeah would i love to see it live yeah would i take another one yeah will i get another one no um but it, is it is it does it like make me feel elated the way long henna did no yeah have you spent more time with it than than ian has though yeah i mean yeah. you know our our uh, good friend Langdon Hickman, who I write about underground metal with at Consequence of Sound, you know, he and I were doing our column when No Knows the Dead Thing came out. Um, you know, we and we covered the album and we considered it for our end of the year list. And I think we wound up saying no. If I'm not, I don't recall the ranking 
but I, I do remember it being like it's an album that was like on our short list didn't make the cut is my recollection sure sure yeah and so that's kind of where we'll sort of end this story i guess and hopefully you've enjoyed um the little the snippets uh from john throughout the episode and um you know deep dives into kind of the background on the 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 evangelion stuff that i think is is pretty fascinating and has me intrigued especially the twin peaks connection that's that's kind of the hook you know to to get a guy like myself to to you know go go into that realm a bit um but i think like you know again requiem listeners and i'm sure human instrumentality listeners alike this is probably like a a weird you know assault of the senses in a lot of ways and, and that's okay you know that's that's good for him you know to to kind of think about like art and, and, and different kind of philosophies towards like producing music that's extreme you know because certainly this is extreme you know stuff but um yeah no this has been fun gentlemen um it's it's been a, a very cool you know i didn't know how four people together would work but i think uh, i think it's listenable i think people are going to enjoy this so um, yeah thanks so much for having us on i hope if any of our uh listeners stuck around for the whole thing that they you know maybe have gained a taste for some of the heavier stuff that informs what joseph and i do and we'll also then like if god if anyone wants an introduction to heavy metal history you guys are writing the book on it right now so i hope they go and follow requiem as well yeah we try we try yeah plug away what it, you know um where can people find your guys's podcast do you guys have a website or any ways to contact you or anything like that or we so you can find us anywhere that podcasts are distributed so i know that people follow us on spotify i know people follow us on apple Podcasts. same as you it's the human instrumentality podcast our email address is human instrumentality pod at gmail.com and you can find us on twitter at at symbol another ava pod eva pod uh that is how to find us we check the email all the time Twitter less so, but we do check it. Um, and here's my chance to say, first of all, thank you so much for having me back after oh. the tribulation episode. It Anytime. was a blast. Yeah. I've loved doing this with you. Thank you for entertaining my crazy ideas. Hey, you got a lot of them, but this this one I grabbed onto. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and for the human instrumentality people, I I just want you to know. Um, I know that like Evangelion and like Gridlink, this episode has probably rewarded your patience with sadness. Um, but if like us after sadness, you can feel great joy, then I encourage you to look back through everything else Mark and Jason have done, especially in the last year. Um, the thrash special changed my, changed like a, a lot of, like my project that i'm working on right now so thank you for that oh, talk, um, talk about your band for a second go ahead yeah i think it's cool you can plug this it's a metal band go ahead sure uh well it's funny because discordance axis is why my band got together um but i'm in a thrash crust band in seattle called colony drop we have one demo out come find us uh like on spotify don Sp no just Bandcamp. oh um, Bandcamp. i was gonna say i found it somewhere i was listening to it yeah Bandcamp. it's on it's on Bandcamp. uh like like discordance axis and gridlink it's vaguely anime inspired but really mostly about feelings and politics um and uh true story uh i met the main guitarist of that band ryan moon uh talking about 
discordance access that's how he and i became friends and he and his bandmate in his other project turian uh andrew knight did a a lot of work with me behind the scenes like picking the songs to play oh, nice. we, we we did spend a lot of time talking about like what what do people want to hear from discordance access what is it um so horns up to them oh, cool yeah and and also, thank you guys again, Jason and Mark, for turning me on to Acid Bath, my new favorite fucking band. Um, <laughs> loved, loved the Doom series, but sorry, it was all downhill after that first one for me. Where I was like, oh, this is uh, this is Redneck Paradise Lost. This is yes. what I didn't know I wanted forever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think actually, you know, you, you mentioned Eva fans like coming back on Requiem. I think they might actually, in a weird way, dig that the the neurosis thing we did because that's a pretty oh, yeah. harrowing kind of existential yeah. journey into human nature and you know like really fucked up harrowing kind of weird journeys and and stuff like that. So that could be the 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 one you know if they're looking for a, another starter or episode or that will just scare the shit out of them and they'll never want to <laughs> listen to a anything lot of- to do. So. A lot of emotional commonality there, but yeah, yes, yes, uh, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we'll kind of uh, basically for us, you know, as we kind of exit out of here, you know, let us know what you thought about all this. We always love engaging the feedback. You can check us out on podcasts uh, or on Spotify, on uh, Apple Music. Um, leave us comments. I know Spotify has allowed for comments that you can start rating us now that just came about in the last month or so. So what? Yeah. Pretty cool. So there you go. Start start hyping that a little bit. So yeah, you can leave rating systems on both Spotify and Apple Music, and we'd appreciate both because that does help us out a little bit. Um, shoot us an email uh, at requiempodcast at gmail.com. Uh, check us out uh, on Facebook, Jason and Mark, uh, Twitter, all those kind of good places. Um, and then also, if, in, if you're interested, you believe in what we're doing, and you want to kind of uh, support us on Patreon, you can go to uh, patreon.com backslash podcast. Or you can go to requiemmetal.com to find our first 160 episodes. Um, And also there's a link to get to Patreon there to become a monthly supporter and get access to bonus features and things like that. So um, very cool, guys. This has been been a lot of fun. Mark, anything uh, anything I missed? I know you got to get going. I know Joseph's got to get tacos uh, going with his... uh, (laughs) Some food going. I think uh, we got everything. Next, uh, we've got lots of stuff on the next episode. We'll... uh housekeeping stuff we can talk about yeah for sure for sure and for people that are interested in becoming patreons i think our next patreon episode uh that we want to record based on patreon feedback is going to be a best of uh 2021 uh we haven't done something like that in a little while and that will be kind of exclusive for the the people that uh sign up and become patreons so there's your incentive to, to do so is to, to if you if you give a shit about old man opinions about new metal in, in 2021 then that's uh well and we haven't done one in i don't know how many a years a decade so. Yeah, it's been a while. while. I mean, we've talked about new releases that we're into. You know, that's kind of been the vibe of a lot of our Patreon shows are a little bit more kind of laid back. But for sure, this will be, you know, I'm I'm not saying we're going to do a lot of research for it. It's going to be more off the cuff, you know, as a lot of our Patreon shows are. But it's still fun to talk about some some new metal releases and and have fun with them. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. Just one moment. Oh, oh my gosh, Joseph. No, sorry. Go ahead. I know I'm the one who's got to go. Ian. Yeah. You've you. You let me talk about my band. Talk about your podcast. Your music <laughs> oh, yeah, ahead, podcast. Yeah. Come on, Ian. Yeah. Well, uh, be yeah. assertive. I'm also in a band. It's called Lamniforms. Uh, we also released a vaguely Evangelion-related album back in 2011. Since then, I've uh, changed my style a bit and have released albums based on the myth of Sisyphus and mm-hmm. uh, uh, more 
heady uh, concepts like that. So if you're if you're into heavy music uh, that takes a kind of like genre agnostic approach, I'm your guy. Uh, you can find me on, on Bandcamp, lambdaforms.bandcamp.com. I also have a podcast where I interview other musicians and artists called Lambdaforms Radio and a weekly Substack newsletter called Lambdaforms Cuneiform. Uh, so you can find Ooh. that at lambdaforms.substack.com. Uh, and yeah, otherwise you can bug me on Twitter and Instagram and all, all the usual spots. Badass. Thank you guys. This has been awesome. Yeah. Um, so for uh, Requiem Metal Podcast and Human Instrumentality Podcast, uh, this is Yorha from No One Knows What the Dead Think. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Um, and right. so uh, for for Requiem, I am Jason. And I'm Mark. Enjoy. You know, like, like the, the, the vibe of the thing, he really wanted it to be like the sort of like science fiction kind of vibe, like the like space opera elements in that's kind of woven in throughout the entire piece uh as well as a bunch of references to bloodborne and other other stuff fun things like that like i think magica girl madoka is in there on one song <laughs> um yeah you know it's a like like it's not it's not really different for me like i'm just doing what i do and um but it was yeah it was a one shot you know it was it was, it was a I, I we don't have any plans to do another record at one point we had talked about playing a couple of shows but the reality was that nobody between the three of us, all of us have families. Um, we didn't have a lot of time to pr- play together before we recorded. So recording was, was kind of a challenge to be honest. Um, in large part, because there just wasn't that like, because Rob's playing is so, um, non-standard, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's not like, like when we did Gridlink stuff, talk Fumi's writing in, like mostly in four, four. So a guy like Brian, can lock into that four four pretty quickly and just like like go with it right like and like put up put in his like he's figuring out like how he wants to add like flourishes and whatever to the music and, and it's kind of natural but with um with rob martin it's a lot more challenging because he's he's a he's, he's doing something really truly different than everybody else not that talk Fumi isn't doing something really different as well but like but rob is is a hard is a harder guy to follow in terms of like not like not like uh, like a hard act to follow but like physically harder to follow because he doesn't he doesn't even play with consistent time signatures a lot of the time he'll play a riff seven eight one time and eight eight the next time and nine seven the next time it's kind of a nightmare yeah yeah i can imagine (laughs) it's that voivod in him you know (laughs) yeah we we ended up having to track all of the drums and vocals on the record and uh, a lot you know we basically did live tracks of those and then rob did some scratch guitar tracks but essentially he went back like two or three months later and just retract the entire record to the correct time, to the to the uh, a consistent time signature for every song. So, so we actually had something that was a little bit more cohesive. But like you know, Rob's an esoteric guy. He plays by himself. He plays solo essentially, like alone most of the time, right? So he's playing purely on feeling and not like counting time or things like that. He's um, much more organic, if you will, versus like the Takafumi Matsubara experience, which is uh, like I am. You know, like the ink, like Ingve Malmsteen, perfect every single time, except it's going to be faster. Yeah. You know, uh, and it, it's very different, different, very different diversity, you know, dichotomy. And, and uh, uh, yeah, so, so again, I guess the, the short answer is yeah, no one knows what the dead thing was a one shot. We have no plans to do anything else with it anytime soon. Um, and quite frankly, we're, there's a discussion about maybe doing uh, Gridlink 10th anniversary performances next year, but. 
some of that depends on like lockdowns, like ongoing lockdowns and what, you know, sure. the ability to travel of the various people in the band is. Yeah. Um, and honestly, bandwidth in terms of like being able to prepare for Gridling shows because they're just as physically difficult as Discordance or, you know, shows were. And like at, you know, I'm approaching 50. So it's, 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 it's like, like, like on the, I mean, I work out, but like on the, on the chance that we're going to be doing uh, Gridlink live shows in the next year, I have like really stepped up my workouts now to like be physically in better shape to do performances like that. Uh, so, you know, hopefully, hopefully we're able to, to, to do something. I don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, most of my work right now is the, the, the black pot of red, red earth stuff I do, which is graph novel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we have a tabletop war game and, you know, video game, uh, the main focus being the tabletop war game right now. And then the graph novels, those are modern military thrillers, but they are very much super gritty. You know, a lot of the stuff we talked about earlier in terms of like what, what I'm attracted to in storytelling and fiction, um, you know, not big sweeping character arcs, um, very plot driven stories, um, very, very, you know, like the, 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 the light moments and then the really heavy moments, a uh, little like some of the older I was really I mean, you're a film guy I really was into Battle of Algiers so oh, my, my earlier book I was really inspired yeah. by, by Battle of Algiers yep. and I was trying to write you know comic books like the Battle of Algiers uh, this new series was actually originally written to be an anime and uh, we had been developing something uh, with the team in Japan and right before COVID hit and COVID shut the production down essentially oh man so there's a possibility of us uh, of us coming back to it, but like it's it's a little bit of a tricky series because it, it is it is a dark you know grim dark war story, and not a lot of young people want to necessarily work on something like that. So it's it's a blessing and a and, and a curse because like it's a it's it's a curse because it's hard to find staff, but it's a blessing because most of the people who want to work on it are older guys and they they're the guys who worked on the stuff that we love uh, that I loved growing up. So it's, 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 you know, it's much older creators, um, and hopefully one day we'll get to make it happen. Um, but, uh, yep. I mean, it, it, that's really what I do the most of right now. And I put my heart into that and I put my, like my every waking hour into that. Um, I've got a couple other things I'm developing right now, but they're, they're kind of like skunk work still. Um, but you know, one of the, the other things I've been working on is developing, uh, developing clothing that doesn't use any forced labor or uh, doesn't touch any autocratic nation. Wow, that's and fantastic. It has been an incredible experience doing that, um, like really figuring out where, where, where things are sourced and, and how, like, like how, the, how fabric is milled, you know, where the, you know, like how, where the animals come from, how they're handled, what kind of lives they live. Like, you know, every aspect of that really really working on that to make sure you can produce something that like is, is truly an ethical product. Um, the cost for it is, 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 uh, for lack of a better word, um, beyond anything I initially anticipated to make. Um, and it's really been, it's really been, uh, a, uh, what's the right word? It's really been a sobering experience to see how much trade, Tradecraft and skill has completely vanished from the United States and oh, sure. migrated to places where forced labor is how they make stuff. Sure. 
Yep. And and like I mean, because America Americans have been really brainwashed and like or, or like even I mean Western Western society in general. We're just we've we're we have this expectation of getting a lot of things and getting them at a very low price. Yep. And just just like everything else, there's a cost, and we just you know people just don't want to see that cost. So uh, you know somebody may say, hey, I'm I'm I, I really think slavery is bad. And you know, fill in the blank, social justice cause. But yeah, at the same time, hey, I have, I, I love, I, I love my Nikes, and I wear Nike all the time, and I love my, um, you know, fill in the blank, like whatever the product is, yeah. like my Procter, like I use my Procter and Gamble stuff, and it's great. It's like, oh, by the way, every single product that's sold in China has to go through significant animal testing. Yep. You know, and like, like toothpaste is a crazy one, right? Like finding toothpaste that's not animal tested was like one of the most difficult goddamn things ever. Um, because most people, you know, I'm not a vegan right now or anything, but like, uh, it's pretty funny because like Tom's and Maine used to be like, it wasn't a great toothpaste, but at least you knew it wasn't animal tested. Sure. Tom's and Maine got acquired by like Procter and Gamble a couple of years ago. They've been animal tested and for now, over five years. Now it's animal tested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> um, so like I ended up with Burt's Bees. Now, now <laughs> we're getting really esoteric and kind of into the like, like, like fucking left field. But, but yeah, no, I, I think mean, I think that's fa- that's one of the things I teach in my global studies classes. We talk about externalities, which is these like hidden costs that like most people in the West aren't even aware of. You know, like that's getting paid for somewhere else. You might not be paying for it, but somebody else is paying for it somewhere or some other yeah. living thing, you know. And just sort of the con- the concept of that with globalization and, and corporations and things like that. And I think there is a certain, like you said, a, a naivety that, uh, or a, you know, that we are allowed to have that we just kind of think that we're for, like you said, social justice move, you know, stuff, and at the same time, like all this awful, atrocious shit is happening in, in multiple countries around the world to sort of feed our our desires and our lifestyles, you know. Well, you know, like, 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 you know. Like older generations, when stuff was still mostly made here or in like you know another Western society, people just didn't have as much because yeah. it costs more to make. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I just put out a game, and every we like 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 we manufactured everything in the U.S. Like every single component, every single material was U.S. U.S. made, U.S. sourced, uh, which allowed me to have the accountability for like how everything, like not just not just how the stuff is made and who makes it, but like where the where the raw materials came from to make my stuff right and as a result my prices my prices are in many cases almost double what my competitors are and the reason is because i actually did i you know i stood by my beliefs like i actually i i delivered a product as a as a as a principal steward of a business and you know when when somebody gripes to me about like oh it's so expensive i'm like well you know Yes, but like at the same time, you know, you you know, you want people to get paid fairly, right? Like you want you want people who do work to not get screwed over. You want them to get paid a fair wage, right? Well, I had to pay this guy, you know, five thousand dollars to do the sculpts for my models, so I have to sell them at a higher price to make that money back now. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I also didn't just farm the stuff out to China, you know, like where they're dumping mercury in the water after they make the plastic. I sourced it to a place in the Midwest. That like is a small independent business that he employs a bunch of other Americans, and you know they're they're held to the same environmental standards that you know that sort of are consistent across this country. So I know that he's got American workers who are paid well. I know he's got like uh, he's got like his materials and his sourcing. I know where it's coming from. I know that if he's got any waste products, that they're going to be dis- disposed of in 
the best, you know, most quote unquote correct way, right? Like some some way where they're not just dumping it in like the local aquifer, right? Sure. Like they're <laughs> whatever they're doing with it. So I, I I actually live by my principles, and I think that like that's that's you know what I as, as I'm getting older, especially that's like the thing that's like that I really try to do the most, you know, and like if if, if there's one one like thing that people take away from like all of the stuff that I do. I hope that it's that. Hey, one last one last nerdy <laughs> question from Joe. He just wanted me to ask you, have you seen the rebuilds and do you like them? <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. That's good. Yeah, Fair enough. I mean, That's I, I have no idea what he thinks about them, but I'll I'll pass that on to him. So he he told yeah, me. I, I mean it, it's, it's, I'll, I'll give you like the 30 second version. So they're too slick. They, mm. he, like the, one of the things that made Evangelion so great was it, it was kind of rough around the edges cause they had no money to make it. Mm. And now that it's just like money in the world to make these movies and they're so slick. They like, they lost, like they don't have any of the heart of the original stuff for me. And, I don't see how when you remake your work you could do something with the original heart. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it's kind of like, like what you said about performing some of those songs like after a while like they just lose their potency because you're you just you're you've worked through that or uh, just lack some of that same same kind of thing, you know. So Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. It, and the the other side of the thing is that the, you know, Anno was screwed out of literally millions of dollars by um, by Gynex. And like, like this was kind of, I, I mean, I don't think he did it just for money. I, I mean, I, I'm sure I'd be surprised if he did it just for money because that guy's got plenty of money, yeah. but like, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a way for him to finally get paid back. I think he was owed like over, over $25 million or something like that. It's an insane, it's an insane number what he was actually owed, oh, you know? Wow. Um, cause, cause Gynex is actually owned by a, a construction company. Now they got acquired. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, because the original president went to jail. <laughs> wow, wow. He, he, he wasn't paying anybody. He embezzled, like, literally tens of millions of dollars. 